for the guest fuck that up bam we're like not that cool bruce adam jeremy eat world jeremy eat world good morning Ryan moody on today explosive coach I see. Um, I went over to his Instagram, and, and uh, he, uh, you know, Dave does this um, thing where uh, oh shoot, oh shoot, I forgot to send the link. Yes, uh, I told him, hey, we go on in four minutes, but I never sent the link. Oh yeah, good idea to send the link. This is a uh, this is a cool clip. Um. Let me see if I can share it from his Instagram. Oh, shoot. Here we go. Here we go. So Dave does this thing where he fields questions from uh, YouTube. And uh, I guess Ryan put a question in there. Dave liked the question, so Dave answered it. Let's check it out. Explosiveness. Starting off with Ryan Moody. Ryan is, uh, he's been around for a very long time and he's the dude who used to have the, this jump up. He used to jump really high on boxes and he had a little program that went with it, right? I think it's the same, Ryan. Can you hear it? Uh, if you were to create a combine of sorts to determine the most explosive athlete across any and all sport, what movements would you want to see tested? That's a great question. Something I need to sit on and think. But interestingly, like to test explosiveness, Starting off with Ryan Moody. Ryan is, uh, he's been around for a very long time. And he oh, I, so he doesn't answer it. Okay, up. fine. Jump really high on fine, fine, and, yeah. fine, fine. We'll ask Ryan that. Then what he thinks should be, te- what you should do to, uh, what tests would he use to find the uh, most explosive? This dude's Instagram account has a lot of shit that speaks to me. Tight, low back. Try this. Hey, what's up, dude? What is up, guys? Good morning. You guys hear me okay? We can hear you great. Awesome. Morning. Ryan, what would you... you oh, bye, Caleb. What would you, what would you do to... Um, what test would you use to find the most explosive athlete? Ah, oh, I see what you did there. You do? Yeah, you took that uh, the question I gave Castro, huh? Yeah, did he, he? I was just looking at the clip on your Instagram. He didn't answer it, right? Uh, he didn't give a full answer. He said he wanted more time to think on it, and uh, I haven't checked back to see if he's brought it back up. But I bet I could follow up with him. But I am curious. What would you? What kind of movements would you use? What would you? How would you like to see the test? So, in the the realm of explosive training, um, if we, I'll say it like this: if we were to take athletes from any and all disciplines, right? to see which ones had the most explosive power, explosive output in general. Um, we wouldn't want to necessarily just specifically test them in an area they're really good at. So I'll give you an example, uh, like a, a, a swimmer, right? They're push off of the board going into the water, right? Uh, them versus athletes of different sports, football, basketball, et cetera. They're going to have a lot more, they're going to have a lot of power coming off that board um, and that's going to be an area they're really used to. So I would want to focus on jumping, but not necessarily specific to that sport. So I would focus on the three pathways that we typically use in explosive training. So jumping, sprinting, primarily short distances, and then lifting. Um, and Dave actually brings up in the video that very explosive lifts like the snatch, the, the clean, 
uh, would be examples of uh, good testers. Um, and I would, you know, argue absolutely power for both of those. Um, I would test, um, you know, like what you'd see in the football combine, stuff like broad jump, um, even a, um, a, a sprint of sorts, maybe closer to like the 5-10-5. I like that. They do that in football as well. 40-yard um, dash is good. But also I would love to see a, the vertical uh, jump from a standing position, running vertical uh, leap. Um, and uh, yeah, box jump, seated box jump is pretty cool. It takes a lot of uh, control and athleticism for that one. But yeah, there's a, there's a plethora of it, but I would want to be able to take athletes from any sport and put them in and just see who comes out on top it, you know, as, as consistently across the board as possible. What's the, what's the time domain for explosive? Mm, good question. So when we're looking at explosive power, really what it's coming down to is, is uh, your, your ability to react. So we're looking at the amortization phase, and that's that stretch shortening cycle. Um, of the musculature. So what's the word used again? Amortization. Amortization. And I might be pronouncing that wrong. I've always just said it that way. <laughs> sure. sure. Fine. I like how you um, said it. I buy yeah. It. I appreciate it. So, yeah. So an example of that would be, uh, let's imagine we're doing a depth jump to a vertical leap. Amortization oh, phase is the time delay between overcoming the negative work of the eccentric pre-stretch mm -hmm. to generating the force production and accelerating the muscle contraction and the elastic recoil in the direction of the plyometric movement. Is that so – sorry to interrupt you. So if no, I you're good. if I jump down off a box, let's uh -huh. say I'm on a 12-inch box and I jump down, mm -hmm. that amortization phase is the time it takes me before I'm ready to jump again? So oh, no. it's that it's it's basically so the eccentric piece of the phase, how long it takes you to go from the eccentric phase to the concentric phase, right? So that lapse of time in between there, where you go from basically landing and loading to taking off again, is the amortization phase. The less time it takes you to do that, and if you were to jump vertically after that, the total height that you're able to clear, right, would be how explosive you are. So the faster you can do that with a lot of power, the more explosive you are. So that time domain can change depending on what the actual movement is. Okay. Oh, I like this. Good picture, Caleb. Yeah, Caleb's killing it right now. <laughs> hey, and some shit like uh, like if you were to do an explosive curl, you can't even do the next one until you open your arm back up again. Right. You, jumping, you don't have to do that, right? Right. Well, Yeah. So you're, you're always going to go into a loaded position when you're jumping. So imagine if you're standing in front of a box, right, in a workout. That position that you go into where you bend forward and your arms go back, that is yeah. that's a, a loaded phase. In the, in the seminars that I teach, we literally call that load. And so we'll actually cue that load, and then the entire class will go into that position. So across the board, you're, when you go into that phase, you are loading in general. With the curl, it's a little bit different, Right. Because when we go to an eccentric, like we're in this uh, extended position, when we're here, that the motion it can be explosive. However, you're not really doing a whole lot of this returning position when you jump. You do land, but it's it's very short. I don't I don't know how to describe it. I don't think the curl would be the the best 
example yeah, to use. One. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of why I chose it. It, it doesn't, it, it's, but you could be explosive with the curl. Yeah. I mean, you could be explosive with a curl uh, by doing banded curls, just utilizing bands, right. And doing that um, at, at a much faster rate. Uh, plus when you, you do banded work anyways, uh, at a faster rate, at a higher repetition, uh, you tend to target uh, ligaments into tendons, fascia, um, and that, that actually aids in building our framework, which is something we teach about in the seminar as well. I read this book uh, where I'm really all over the place. I apologize. Yeah, I, I, I read this book where this guy, um, he, he was, they, he was, they called him like Speedy Gonzalez or something. Hmm. Probably racist. And <laughs> he played, he was a ping pong player from the UK and he uh. played in a shed um, where he couldn't get the proper distance away from the table. Oh, interesting. So he was forced to play with like his hips on the table, and that's how he played his first six years of ping pong, which made his reaction time like ha- twice as fast as everyone else's reaction time in, yeah. the, ping- in the ping pong world because he couldn't yeah. get away from the table. Um, so y- I'm guessing that somewhere in that in the definition of explosiveness, he was having some he, he was having like four or five explosions simultaneously. Like, like hip, <laughs> yeah. hip position, wrist position, you, you know, uh, rotation. Not only that, he optimized the range of motion in which he had to work in, right? So, right, if he had a, right. A, which right. is it's amazing. So, if you think about it, like if I were to do a quarter squat with 405 pounds, I could do that pretty easily and still be very fast and efficient with it. Now, if you were to ask me to go full depth, right, now it's going to slow down because of the distance in which I have to travel. I won't be as efficient. Does that mean that I can't be as fast? No, I can train into that position to be fast out of the hole with 405 on my back. However, in that shorter range of motion, if I become very optimal with it, I can be very explosive with that weight. And another way to look at this is let's go to uh, the seated box jump. Now, imagine if you were to take a, a, a box and turn it down to like, I don't know, maybe you have a 12, a 12 or 18 inch box. That's a really deep sit, seated position to be in and to be able to jump out of. Now, the time it delay it takes for me to go from here to hip extension and then recoiling, right? That first initial piece, that might take a while, right? To be able to get to this and that, for it to be any bit explosive, it actually might look delayed and slow. Yeah. Now, if I were to sit on a 30 inch box, right? Which looks like I'm sitting on a bar stool, my ability to hit hip extension and recoil is a lot faster. Now, the big piece in that is I've got to be able to utilize that height of the bot or that angle of the hips and produce as much power as possible. So yes, could I create more, more power from a deeper angle? Absolutely. But if I don't have that ability all the way down to the depth of angle, just, yeah, there you go. Just like that. So when you, when you see him go down, right? So he's below parallel. He has a fast hip recoil and then his hips are coming back pretty quick in his landing position. So what we're looking for here is as he's coming off that low box, we want those hips to come off that box and hit extension fast. If they're slow, then we need to raise the height of the box. So they're more efficient at a higher height and then work them down eventually. So they have more range of motion. They can pull that power from If That makes sense. So that yeah, kind of, yeah, I'm analogy. with you. Yeah. Hey, um, do you, when you see that, do you not like that he doesn't open his hip all the way? Okay. Can you hit it one more time for me, please? Or is that something you 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 don't you do depend on how how high you're jumping? 
So, yeah, exactly. Um, if it was a right now, the height that he's at, he's probably not using a ton of his his explosive ability, his power output, because he knows he can hit that height probably fairly easily. Now, if we were to take that box and make it like 45, 50 inches for him, you might see that action happen. However, that hip action is going to hit extension really fast, and that recoil is going to be possibly even faster to get that position. Because box jumping is not just power output. It's also range of motion, or basically mobility. Um, is there a direct relationship? Why do people want to be more explosive? Is there a mm -hmm. direct relationship with how strong you can become? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 is, is it guaranteed? Um, ooh, ooh. Guaranteed. That's hard. Um, there, there's, well, like, there's, for instance, you, you don't become necessarily strong. If we look at the ping pong player, mm -hmm. he, he, I mean, he, he might not be coming – he might even actually be coming weaker with his explosiveness, right? Because there's like there's that repetitive metabolic component to it. He's he's doing that over and over and over and over mm -hmm. and over. To where mm -hmm. if we just train a guy to do that, let's say just to do that swing with I don't know a, a, a twenty pound paddle, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he only does it once every five minutes, mm -hmm. he he would get stronger. Yeah, he would. He but but, but not as efficient at, at the sport. Right, right. Or even so, a basketball player, right? I yeah. mean, this guy's got to jump a shitload of times. So mm -hmm. he might not be as strong as the guy who who's the Olympic weightlifter. But it is also weird that those Olympic weightlifters, um, when you see them jump, you know what I mean? Like the guy oh, yeah. who's – I'm sure you've seen it. The guy who's 5'4", 205, but he can dunk from a, a vertical. Oh, yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. Well, if you think about it, right, so – when when we do a standing vertical leap, we have a ton of power output, right? That's something that's been measured time and time again uh, in, in research. Now, imagine pulling that load from the pulling a heavy load from the floor and the amount of force or power output that you have to put it in the floor and jump with it, right? And so your your hips are getting used to basically moving a really heavy object really quickly. So yeah, this that's when you brought up that. Uh, uh, this example, this is exactly what I thought about. I think this was either in Korea or Japan. Great video. Super impressive. Yeah, that guy was huge, yeah. that second guy. Yeah. But he yeah. doesn't get, but, but, but that, he probably doesn't have a lot of those, right? He has a couple of those in him and he's done. Whereas the yeah, basketball player's got like, he's got to have a hundred in him for the game, right? I would, I would think so. Um, I honestly can't speak to that. I don't, I haven't had enough experience with Olympic weightlifters doing box jumps per se, uh, like this example to know where kind of their fatigue rate sets in. But in all reality, we all at some point have a fatigue rate with jumping, especially higher heights, right? So it's, it's like saying, uh, Savon, how many times can you pull 90 plus percent of your deadlift max? Once. Right? <laughs> Before I so, snap in half. <laughs> pull that 135 and I'm toast. The interesting thing, too, is just to add to this, uh, the power output piece, right? Um, so I, I trained at Westside Barbell under Louis uh, for a long time, for years. Um, I'd go out there and live out there for a while. And athletes like AJ Roberts, who's an all-time uh, world record holder, uh, I believe in the 308 class. Um, as an example, around 300 pounds, I believe he told There's me. There's a 300-pound weight class? 
<laughs> it's um yeah, I don't know what the super heavyweight class is. <laughs> it's like in the UFC, like if you're over 265, you can't play. Right, right. <laughs> it's exactly. just crazy that in this sport there's a 308 pound. Oh yeah. Yeah, big dudes. Like I any every time I walked in the west side where the in the mornings when the uh the guys were there training, um I, I looked like a 14-year-old girl walking in there compared to them. They, I mean, they're massive human beings, incredible people um as well. But um yeah, AJ, I believe he I believe he told me he had about a 50-inch box jump um at 308. Um so that's that's really impressive and I believe he squats or squatted at least around 1100. Um, it's, it's weird for me to think of you and West side barbell because I, I think of those gentlemen, <laughs> as, I just think of you, um, as being with the athletes who are, um, I picture you being in a room with like ladder, like those ladders, those yellow ladders you throw out on the floor. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's yeah. the scene. That's the, the scene I kind of, uh, picture you in, um, mm. Uh, you know, training um, bat- people who are um, at- need to be super agile, but yeah. also really yeah. big. And when I think of West Side Barbell, I don't think of agile. I think of more bulldozers. Like, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, um, how, how did you end up there? What, how, did you end, how did you end up there? Um, so you may recall, and you Are actually you coaching made... there or just training there? No, 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 not coaching there. I was only training there. I was working with Louis one-on-one. Okay. Um, and uh, so you, I don't actually know if you were at this or if you were filming this, very possible. Uh, the video where Boz is there at Westside and he's doing the kneeling jumps. Yeah, I, w- I would did not go, unfortunately. Oh, you didn't go? Okay, no. okay. Um, so I saw that video. Uh, this was right before um, Heber filmed the little CrossFit HQ uh, short on me called 56 Inches to Fame. Um and I, I saw that video of Boz and I was like, okay, this is really cool. I don't know who this crazy, you know, uh, bulldog looking guy is that's coaching him, but I want to learn from him. Um, and so it, was, it wasn't that long after I broke the first world record that I emailed him, emailed Louis or emailed Westside. I didn't realize Louis was the one replying to the emails. Um, and I, I said, hey, this is what I do. This is what I'd like to be able to do. I feel like I'm hitting kind of a, a ceiling, and I believe you can help get me through that ceiling. And in so many words, um, paraphrasing, of course, Louis basically said, how soon can you get here? Um, that, that was 2012 uh, was the first time. And uh, then a few months later, I went out there. I was teaching some seminars out in the area anyways, and so stopped in for several days uh, to work with Louis. And... Uh, yeah, I, he he became a major force in my life, kind of like a, a grandfather figure in the, in a way. Um, and I still get a little bit emotional when I talk about him um, because he, he he did he played that role in my life. Um, but he uh, he absolutely changed the trajectory of my career uh, yeah, with uh, everything explain, he taught please. me. T- t- tell me, explain. So at that point, I had broken well. When I finally met with him, I had broken a, a couple world records, and I was already Tell teaching me about seminars. Those world records. Tell me which ones had you broken. So at the time, I had broken the uh, standing box jump world record, which uh, was originally held by Jonas Hussam of Den- Denmark, I believe. So I broke that at fifty-six inches. And, um, and describe that to me. That's when you're, you're sitting on a box, and then no, someone says, standing, "Go." 
no, no, standing, okay. just yep, standing, uh, standing position, and jumping for you know, basically jumping, tucking, and landing on top of 56 inches and then standing okay. vertical, right? Um, and then the other variation uh, that I had I broken early on was the running box jump, which uh, I broke at uh, back then, I think it was like 67, 68 and a half inches, something like that. So it'd be like five foot eight and a half. So, so running gives you a, a, a gave you eleven or twelve inches more. At that time, yes. Yeah. The uh, the highest I ever did from a standing position at the best of my career uh, was sixty five inches. Uh, so that's five foot five. Um, and the best running variation that I ever did um, was seventy four inches. I have a video of me attempting seventy four inches online from back in the day at CrossFit eight hundred one with a. Um, Miranda Alcarez and uh, Tyson Oldroyd, but uh, I don't have the 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 one of me actually landing it later in life. Uh, but seventy four inches is my highest. I, I won't uh, forget that we, uh, the direction we were going. I'll get us back on Louis. But uh, let me ask you this real quick: When you did fifty six, yes, was um, was sixty five possible? Eight, back then, nine. back then I didn't I didn't think so. I thought I thought sixty inches. This to 62 inches would have been like the cap. Um, I was in school at the time at the University of Utah for exercise sports science. And I, I always had the, the question in the back of my mind, is it possible for a human being to jump and land their own height from a standing position, which is something you really only see in the animal kingdom and in which in the animal kingdom outside of human beings, right? Um, they can do far more than that uh, from their own height. Um, but I was, it wasn't until I met with Louis where Louis explained at the time the science behind, he actually got a physics professor from Ohio State University on the phone and explained the science as to how it is possible. Um, wow. And, and the, the person that I think is going to do it um, is a young gun by the name of Christopher Spell. Uh, he holds a lot of the world records currently. Um, he'd actually be a great one that, to have on your show in the future too. Guy's amazing. Amazing. Have, have you ever talked to um, uh, Romanoff? The pose, the pose guy. Um, no, I've ne- I've never talked to him. I've watched videos from him. I remember the uh, the video with him, Louis, and uh, was it Bergner? Someone else was in there. Oh, Ribito. I don't know. There was a video where they had like a, a conversation between like three big names. Yeah. I don't know, yeah uh, um, there was this one time I did an interview with him, and I was talking to him about the fastest time for the mile. This is a little off subject, hmm. but he basically just said it's. It's just you just there's an angle that a human being can reach leaning forward, and that's the fastest a human being could possibly run. And then you just figure out how long it takes him to go to a mile. And I forget what he said, but I really liked his his thought process on that. Yeah, it's it's incredible stuff. It really is. The more you get into um, the mechanics of the body and what human potential is or what what is possible, it's actually kind of crazy. Um, when you start looking into stuff like uh, the importance of like the Golgi tendon organs um, and how they play a role as like the governors of the body, it makes me wonder if we could turn those off in a safe way, what could we do? What are we what capable was the word of? you used? The Golgi who? What? I, I believe it's called the Golgi tendon organ mm-hmm. or organs. Um, basically, it's like a governor that keeps us from... This is going back to my uh, <laughs> my exercise sports science days. Um, it's like a governor that basically keeps us from shredding. Yeah, what is it? What does it say? Junction tendon, but 
Uh, the tendon stretch muscle. Yeah, basically keeps it from like ripping off the bone. God, I was really hoping that it was found like in the ovaries and in the testicles. <laughs> so that there would be some validity. Like you don't have the balls. You don't have the ovaries to do that. God, I was so uh, hoping it would be. In there. There'd be some like, um, what's that called? Um, etymology to it like that. Damn. Okay. So, so, so you go to, so you go to West side um, and you're and you, and you want to learn to, you want to steal this guy's mind. You're, you're there to oh, yeah. get into his brain and see what specifically on the goal of jumping higher. Yeah. My, my sole purpose there um, was to break world records. Obviously Louis cares about that. Um, and Louis had said at one point, he's, he said out of all, um, I've got athletes to jump close to or around where you've jumped after working with me. I've never worked with someone who's already jumping higher than that, that hasn't already worked with me. And so he was, um, I asked him one day, uh, to quote him, I said, I said, Louis, when it comes to what you're doing with me here, cause we only train two days a week, uh, Mondays and Fridays, deadlifts, deadlift day, uh, squat day. Um, I didn't need to be there on bench day. Um, and then. I, I would ask him, I was like, hey, if, if someone were to ask me, hey, what are you doing at Westside? Would I tell him, oh, I'm just basically doing conjugate. And he's like, well, yeah. But he said, I dream up shit for you to do at night. Oh. And so we were really pushing the envelope there of an area that um, he was also still uh, creating and learning and, and um, tweaking. Um, so, yeah, uh, really crazy experience. And I try to go back once a year and try to spend anywhere from a few weeks to a few months there. And uh, I actually was lucky enough to stay at this uh, lady's house. Her name's Lisa. Um, she let me stay in her basement so I could train at Westside. And I slept on a mattress on the floor and I would mow her lawn as a means of like exchange for me being able to stay there. Um, Is that just a metaphor? A, that's, a, that's a reality. That's what I used to do. You actually, there was a, there was a lawnmower when you say mow yep. lawn. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> Very clear. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get you in any trouble. Oh, you're good. You're good. So um, you were his, uh, you were kind of his lab rat. He, yes. And he, and he was a scientist. He, he. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you, did you. I would, I would argue, I would argue, Savan, that anyone that walked through that door was his lab rat in a, a way that he was like, you have the potential I'm going to take that potential and I'm going to see just how far we can take it. And I'm going to try some crazy stuff with you, uh, stuff that you're probably not going to want to do it at, at times. I mean, I remember a, talking with AJ Roberts before I left for the first time to meet with Louis and I said, any advice? And he says, do what Louis says. Don't, don't go get the grain. You're going to be points where you're not going to trust what he's saying. Just do what he says. So I did. Can you think of anything in particular that um, he uh, suggested you do that you were like, uh, I don't know. Uh, am I at the wrong spot? Like I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not for this. So I remember after a squat day, um, I'm in a pair of squat briefs. Um, and squat kind of, those are like special shorts for squatting. Yeah. Yeah. For powerlifting. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be geared lifting essentially. Um, just single ply. So they're, they're fairly malleable. They're bendable. Um, and uh, anyways, I'm just kind of walking around. It's like walking around in a diaper. Um, feels really, really weird. Um, and Louis had a box at the gym at the time near the squat rack uh, that was 42 inches. Just those old school metal boxes with the rubber top on it. Yeah, there you go. Yep, that's basically exactly what I was wearing. Oh, that looks, yeah, that looks horrible. 
Yeah, they're uh, they're interesting. So I was walking past the 42-inch box, and Louis like, hey, come here. And so I'm like, okay, what's up? And he goes, um, sit down on, like, this low box, and I want you to do a seated box jump onto the 42-inch box. And so I, like, start trying to shimmy out of my squat briefs, and he's like, no, leave them on. And I was like, are you serious? And he's like, leave them on. And I set. I, you wear something underneath it. There's other shorts underneath. Uh, it. Like, like sliders. Okay. Right. Um, they're like. Like compression shorts to, are underneath. Yeah, 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 yeah. You want something because they're hard to get in and out of. You can see videos and pictures of people uh, like putting them on the J hook of a squat rack and then putting their entire body weight into it just to be able oh, to like get into it. Oh, like how you get them. a little kid dressed in a wetsuit. Like, <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay. Okay. That's so yeah. <laughs> so I. The thing about briefs, right? The way to think about it is uh, when, when you're going down in, into the bottom of the squat with the briefs, they're basically storing some kinetic energy. And so as you're coming out of the hole, they actually assist you, right? But they're really constricting and they're really weird to walk around in. You don't feel very free and mobile in them. And um, I remember I kept trying to jump and I couldn't because I was freaked out because if, if your briefs, like, if you bend too far forward in the briefs, obviously, especially if you had load on your back for like a back squat, it can kind of fold you in half and drop you forward. And so that's not going to go well for jumping. Right. And I kept like getting in my head and Louie got like this close to my face. And just to quote him, he said, jump, motherfucker. And um, I scared the crap out of me. And so I did. And as I jumped, that little bit of like kinetic energy that came from the briefs it, it was like, um, I guess one way to think about it is, you know, like uh, cheerleaders where they they take the cheerleader and, and they prop up and then they push up higher, right, with yeah, the cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. It was crazy. Um, it like was a weird feeling. last field. inch or two where you thought you were going to stop, you even went another inch or two. Yeah, exactly. Like a exactly. Slower. And with ease and, and under a lot of fatigue. Um, but, yeah. God, you yeah. must have been pleasantly surprised when that happened. Very. Louis <laughs> – Louis just walked away shaking his head. Um, and Tom, I believe, uh, said, you'll listen to Louis next time, won't you? And I was like, yep, 100%. But it was scary. Um, had, had anyone else, had you, and you'd never seen anyone else do that before? No. That was my first introduction to squat briefs in general. I didn't even know what those were until he gave me a pair. I imagine that they're like, the way you showed the picture of them, that they're, they look so thick, like canvassy, like that you almost felt like they were going to impede your jumping, like as much as they're supposed to help you, that yeah. there could be like material rubbing against material that at the last minute holds you back or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, and, and in the world of box jumping, there is limitation to what you can do in them because of that exact reason. So I think the highest I've ever done in briefs was like 54 inches. Um but then after that, it becomes difficult because the position you have to get into for higher heights, uh, it, it becomes impeded pretty quickly. Um, any um, what were the what were the biggest changes um, you saw after working with him? <laughs> um, like in Did jumping, you see body composition change. Uh, say that again. Uh, like any changes in general. Yeah, just, um, just jumping. maybe maybe what you thought about uh, physical activity, what you thought about yourself, what you're uh, maybe more superficially, <laughs> how your body composition changed, how um, your jumps changed, how, yeah. um, you know. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> um, a lot changed for me at Westside. Um, it was like a veil was lifted for me 
to another world. And because, because of that experience, like one, let, let's be clear. I was just grateful every day that I got to train there because as you know, that, that is a invite only gym and they take that extremely seriously. Um, I remember when I walked in the first day, just as an example of this, I walked in the first day and he, he told me to come in at like 8.15, 8.30 or something like that, uh, partway into the squat session uh, of the men and the women's workouts. And it says, you know, on the door, like if you're, if you weren't invited by owner and founder, Louis Simmons, you're not welcome and we'll, we'll remove you. Um, and I walk in and people stop and look at me and I'm like, I, I mean, we're talking massive human beings, right? Right. Scary, scary individuals. And I put my hands up and I was like, I swear I have an appointment. And I hear Louie come from where the women's side is on the other side of the wall, come over and basically like, who the fuck is here? And I'm like, I'm your jumper, Ryan. I'm your jumper. And he's like, oh, come here. And uh, but yeah, so they, they don't mess around. Um, is there a hazing process? Ooh, I don't know. About that. I don't know about that because really there weren't guys who were assholes to you and it took like six months before they'd like talk to you. So I see see what you're saying now. Shoot on my bench or don't look at me when I work out like guys who just like are testing you. It's possible that happens amongst the powerlifters that are in the powerlifting group. Right. Right. Um, However, if you're invited to Westside, my understanding has always been if you have, if Louis invited you, you, you are part of the crew. You not, not necessarily part of the powerlifting crew, but you're part of Westside. And so you have that respect. You're there for a reason. You're there for a purpose. Um, I can and I own a, a, a healthy amount of hazing. Oh, no, there's. You know there, what I mean? Like just in all environments, I condone hazing. <laughs> well, I mean, the other piece of that coin is I wasn't allowed to train with the men. Mm. I'm not strong yeah. enough. Um, I was only allowed to train with the women. And the other dudes who were, who were kind of relegated to that rule. No, just you. Yep. It's crazy too. Yep. Cause like, just to be you know, able to train there as a man, you had to hit certain numbers. Amongst us more. Yeah, right. Savage, it's funny to think. <laughs> okay. It's like, it's oh, like yeah. you were Aquaman. Hey, you're, you're no fucking Superman. Just get back. Right. To the water, right? <laughs> you're just Aquaman. I mean, I remember my first day squatting with the women. Every time it was my turn, they're taking off multiple 45s. Yeah. For box squatting, you know, and I'm just sitting here going like I'm getting crushed by like 135 and bands. And these women are, you know, they have 300, 400 pounds on the bar with bands crushing it. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Damn. It was a very humbling, humbling experience. So I, I learned a lot about what kind of strength is actually out there in the world. Because I thought I, I thought I was strong at the time I was pulling um, like 585 on a deadlift uh, squatting at the time, like 365 and I weighed about 185 pounds. And by the time I left Westside, um, after spending two months there, um, I pulled 655 at 188 wow. and I, I was squatting 425. And that was still just that those are the women's weights. <laughs> yeah, basically. I don't know about on deadlift. Deadlift is like the only one that I had that was any bit uh, near the entry level for those men just to be allowed to work out on that side. Yeah, that's crazy. And so that the veil was that was lifted that you um, spoke about was the uh, human capacity. You were like, oh shit, humans are capable of a ton of shit. Yeah, not just, not just human capacity, um, but the education piece was a side you don't get taught in school. 
you don't. I mean, a lot of what what we Louis was reading, like, I don't know, like 100 books a year. The guy was like a savant. The guy was brilliant. Um, and Louis took obviously a lot in conjugate from, you know, Soviet Russia. Uh, and so I, I was like walking around with him and training with him, coaching me. Um, it was like, I, I don't know. It was like walking around with like a history book mixed with, with exercise, sports science, uh, mixed with like an almanac almost, I don't know, an encyclopedia. Like it, it was amazing. I used to sit in his office with him between our sessions for like two or three hours Wow! and just listen to him, just talk and teach me things. And so that, that veil was lifted too. Cause I was like, Holy crap, there's so much out there in the world that I just didn't know. And I, I had the education for what I was doing. Um, so to have him come in and, and, and share this, it rocked my world. I was like, I, I don't know squat. So, uh, how, how's my voice now, guys? I don't know what it could be that made this, someone wrote in the comments that they, they don't hear me so well today. Mm-hmm. I got my mouth right on the mic. How, how did how did he end up? Pa- he just passed away recently, right? In the last six months, uh, I believe it was in February. And, and, and he he was no spring chicken, right? He was seventy five or something. Yeah, um, I believe he was turning seventy four, seventy five this Still year in young. October. Yeah, yeah, he was. Louis was going through a lot um, health wise. Have you watched uh, West Side vs. the World? The documentary? No, no, I haven't. Good. Oh, please, please go watch it, man. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I'll definitely watch it. Yep. Seven, yeah, 74. Yeah. Um, did you, did you ever see signs of his, um, of his, did, did he smoke cigarettes? Uh, if he did, never around me. I never saw okay. it. I, I, I used to drive right around with him in his Jeep at the time. And I went to his house with him and his wife, Doris, to have like spaghetti dinners and stuff like that. Um, and I never saw anything like that. The thing is like, if Louis was in pain, I don't think he's ever going to show it or tell you. I remember being there as an example. One day, um, I was, I was in town visiting. I had a few days to train there and I was watching Louis squat. Um, and it was, you would see him train. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I was watching him squat and I noticed his like knee looked like it was like jelly. And I was like, what is going on with his knee? It's like swollen. And, and I, and I was like, uh, as he's squatting, I'm like, Lou, what's going on with your knee? And I can't remember exactly, but I swear he said it was something with his ACL. And uh, he, he said, yeah, it's just really annoying. I just drain my knee every night. Oh. And he's still squatting with a lot of weight at, you know, at the time, you know. And he's probably performing that old. procedure himself, right? He's probably sticking. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I would not be surprised. Yeah. Okay. He's um, a savage. He, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Louis, yeah. Louis is something else. That's the thing is like in his later years, um, my understanding is he got a lot softer. And so that's a lot of what I saw in my experience with him. Um, but you mean he's more not, grandfather by softer, you mean just more sentimental, more, more grandfathery, more, yes, more feely, like yes. Yeah. And those those gold plates, I believe, are are hundred pounds each. He squatted, yeah, nine twenty. Uh, I think he was fifty years old when he did that. Oh, and he was wearing those funky shorts. Yeah, he's wearing the briefs. Yeah. Did he? Did he? Did he create those? I don't think so. He created a lot of stuff, though. <laughs> a lot. Of um. Uh. Travis Bellinghouse says, what, "What's he saying down here?" A buddy of mine got to visit Louis' gym, and he said it was unreal uh, what they would put people through on the belt squat just to get an opportunity <laughs> to train there. 
<laughs> I totally forgot. Yeah. Yeah. The, the bell squat, man, that was like, um, that's where the belt goes through a hole in the floor and the, and you're standing, yeah, the weights are underneath a, you somewhere. Well, well, there's, there's a few variations. The one, the one that I was on, uh, basically it had a pulley system that went into the, the floor, um, yeah. platform and that went up to kind of like what you'd see on a lap pull down machine, right. With a pulley system. And yeah. then they had plates they would throw on it and they would throw bands on it too. And it'd be attached to a belt around your hips. Right. And you'd be marching or doing different things. Um, yeah, that's a variation. Yep. Um, and it, is that dude, the rogue site? Yeah. Dear Bill and Katie. I don't know. I can't. Where the fuck would I put that? What if what if someone sent that to you? I would send that to someone I hated. It has like a, <laughs> a one car garage. They used to they would beat you up. Like one of my there's some videos with uh Joe Lasco, uh who who coached at Westside for a long time, uh working with I believe it was Christy Aramo O'Connell. Um, and he's talking to her and she, I mean, you can tell it, she's just getting her butt kicked. Um, but they don't, they don't, they like almost chuckle at it. They're like, no, keep going. Let's go. You know, they, they push you, they push you a lot. What was the movement she was doing that they were, they were crushing? She was a belt squat. Um, I believe she was holding a medicine ball. I could be wrong. And, um, going through it, doing like a march or something. And you could tell like she was hitting that limit and, uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Was the um uh this is was not the point of this podcast, by the way. Was <laughs> the um y- you know that phrase if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Uh-huh. You know that phrase? And and and, and recently uh, um my tennis coach uh or my kids tennis coach, hey. wow. My kids my kids tennis coach said uh to me, you know torture. I, um that's Joe in the background. That's Joe Lasco. Sorry, go ahead. I, I just wish once I could I could um, see your kid try to cheat because in tennis, like um, everyone calls their own uh, line line shots, right? Mm. And he said this just like there's just like my kid's just missing that killer instinct to win at at all costs. Mm. And he's so fucking good, but man, there's like he is he's just. I, and it was it was kind of like a metaphor. He didn't really want my kid to be a cheater, but he wanted to see like. A, 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 more, a little more um, competitiveness in him, I get. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Was there that feeling at Westside around um, performance enhancing drugs that if you like, this was a place for people who were going like, Hey, this is for, to push your hardest. And if you're not mm-hmm. you taking performance enhancing drugs, you're not, um, you're obviously not serious about it. Was, was there any of that? Uh, so I, spent when I, think of people in like private. Christy, I don't think she's on anything, but then I think right. she goes there and then automatically there's going, cause they didn't care if you knew they were on shit, right? That place, there was no stigma around it. Right. Yeah. The well, they, if you're not doing it, you're not trying is what, kind well, of what I'm saying. They weren't like walking around the gym and being like, Hey Ryan, you know, I'm so-and-so I'm on steroids. You know, they weren't like very out about it per se. Um, it, it was something that's kind of an underlying thing that's known for the most part. Not that, everyone i don't want to sit there and and put a blanket and say everyone absolutely was because i can't say that i don't know that um anytime i had in-depth conversations around steroids in general peds in general was with louis in his office um and and he was open about it right i think louis said oh man i don't know if it was in an interview maybe it was with joe rogan i believe he said he was he's been on at that time um steroids for like 40 45 years straight yeah yeah, so uh, he he was a big believer in him. But there Absolutely. was, but but 
I was never, I was never pressured. It was never, Hey, like we could make you jump higher if you took something that was oh, never, you weren't. okay. No, that was never a because, conversation because there be, I see, um, you know, uh, I think Joe's pretty speaking of Joe Rogan. I think he's pretty open about it. Mm-hmm. You see tons. Now it's like tons of people are open about it. My mm-hmm. biggest sponsor is a testosterone uh, replacement therapy clinic, California hormones. Oh, yeah, Everyone, Hiller. yeah, yeah, and yeah, exactly. And now Hiller's in now Hiller's going to um, do this experiment. We're all going to get to see on the yeah. Internet. Um, there's tons of people who are coming out who are saying they were suicidal and they got on testosterone replacement therapy mm-hmm. and they got rid of all their psychiatric meds. And they're like, holy shit, this is yeah. the way, man. Yeah. Um, so I was just wondering if there was that stigma there. But obviously, Christy didn't care. And she sure as fuck doesn't look mm-hmm. like she's on anything. Right. Right. And that's the thing. Like it was never, it was never, there was never a stigma. There was never pushed or pressured or otherwise. Um, I wouldn't, we could speculate that if I was like, Louie, I want to get on a cycle that Louie would be like, okay, I can set you up with someone to take care of that. Right. Yeah, I know a doctor who. Would, yeah, exactly. But that's all speculation. And on the steroid topic in general, um, I'm not anti-steroid. Uh, right. I'm actually very, very, and a lot of this comes from the time I've spent with Louis and learning about it, but I'm very interested to see what happens with Hiller. Like, I Me love too. that he's doing this. Like, I'm Me so too. excited. Me yeah. Too. Me too. So. The, the problem, the problem with all of the stuff from fucking anything anyone, all of us do as humans is when we're put in the position to force to lie. Mm-hmm. It, that's the part that sucks. It's like, I mean, I remember 20 years ago when yeah. there were no studies or 30 years ago, there were no studies on marijuana and right. it's, and it's like fucking just ridiculous. Oh yeah. And there's so much like connected to like shame because shit. it's moral. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. So I, I actually had, um, I, I've spent time training at, uh, super training, uh, gym with Mark Bell. Um, and that, that's in California. Is that in Sacramento? That's Sacramento. So that's where I got a seminar coming up at Iron Mile um, at Ben Ben Alderman's gym in December. That's what I was going to invite you to. He's awesome, Ben Alderman. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Alderman family is amazing. Yeah. What great people. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, if you want to come up to Sacramento, man, feel free. Last time Mark Mark and uh, Silent Mike came up for that, and I did a podcast with them. Um, But I had a conversation with Mark privately at one point. And because Mark's open about it, he talks about it. Very, his, his yeah. Social media, yeah. And uh, I, I was like, Mark, I, I, I want to understand your thoughts on people getting on steroids and do you recommend it? Da, 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 da. And he said, at the end of the day, you can do whatever you want to do. The question is, the real question is not, should I get on or, or not? The question is, if someone asks me if I'm on, where's my morality around saying yes or no? Yeah. That's what it comes down to because the yeah. shame that's attached to lying about something, right? That's, that's a heaven to carry. That's the same. Um, that's the same thing with uh, what Greg used to say about sponsorships. I will take Mar- Marlboro uh, cigarettes as the title sponsor for the CrossFit games. I will not tell you. I will also tell you that smoking is fucking stupid and it'll kill you. And that was the, <laughs> and that was where we had the contention with Reebok. Mm. They gave they you know there was a three hundred fifty million dollar ten year deal and three months into the deal they released some shoes saying that they made your butt firmer it was yeah, like a shoe yeah. with like a, and Greg fucking tore him a new one publicly for it and they're like <laughs> what are you doing we're partners he goes we're not partners you give me money like, like 
let you put your name on my athletes. Like I'm not lying for it. There's not nowhere in here. It says I can't lie. I'm a, I'm so I have to lie for you. Right. right. It's like Coke, bring your shit. But we're also going to like, we're going to use some of your money to tell people how bad your shit is. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a, it's what Mark's saying. Like, are you going to be forced to lie? Yeah. And that's a huge burden. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once, once you reach that fork in the road, the decision that you make in there stays with you. Right. Yeah. And, and it can come back to haunt you later. IE, um, uh, what's his face. Uh, anyone that's ever lied about steroids and got caught later. We'll just say it like that. Right. The, the, Armstrong. the, the yeah. Even the honesty, even the dishonesty around the, around what the real problem with it, um, it is bad for the conversation. But what you're pointing out, there's so many mm-hmm. things like that in life. That smoking's the same way. It's kind of the inverted. They tell you smoking's bad for you. The real problem is, is that once you touch nicotine, you're going to be want it your whole life. You you don't ever. Same with heroin. It's not. Mm-hmm. What, what's worse than the addiction is now you try heroin when you're 17, and when you're 70, you still want to get it back. It's mm-hmm. like someone needs to tell the kids that. Like don't. Like, yeah. It's going to burden your brain. You don't yeah. want your brain burdened. It's it's getting into the reward system, right? That we have, yeah, yeah. right. So dopamine, etc., um, and how that can have effect, and that can, it, it can actually change the uh, chemistry of your brain. It can affect the gray matter in your brain. Um, I, I wonder. This is way off subject, but I wonder. Um, that I was thinking like I have no um uh uh I have really no relationship with porn. Mm-hmm. And I hear about porn, like porn addiction now, and I kind of mm-hmm. can't even fathom it. I just wonder, is that like someone who's like, it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you're going to take a shit and take your phone with you so you can like watch some, like, I'm trying to think what that looks like. Cause my only relationship with porn my whole life was like when I traveled, if I went to a hotel, mm-hmm. like maybe I'd look at some porn on my phone. I would never even buy porn. I don't need much, like 20 seconds. I'm good. <laughs> I had my fill. Thank 20. you. <laughs> um, But like, in in my day to day, so I was thinking about that too. In terms of like throwing that in there with cigarettes, like mm. um, you shouldn't even never look at porn until maybe like you're over twenty five. I, I wonder if the the people who are addicted to porn and to cigarettes and to heroin and, and heroin might be a little different nicotine, but I wonder if you the longer you can go without experiencing these things that are super crazy stimulating because mm. i mean that's the deal with porn right it's just cr- it just fucking overwhelms you yeah. um I, I i wonder if that's uh like no one should have a, a cell phone until they're 25 <laughs> so do you um, do you have kids i don't have any that i'm aware of no okay, okay um fair, fair answer <laughs> yeah not not married never been married no kids would love that in the future hopefully one day we'll when I'm older. Um, okay. So getting into your question, yeah, do you want, right? do you have any comments, uh, Mr. Explosive coach, uh, uh, Ryan Moody on porn? Absolutely. Yeah, actually I do. Um, oh, okay. so I'm a, I'm a, um, an put a LP. cell phone playing porn at a really high shelf and that will increase your jumping. Is that your, yeah, that's, that's actually, you already <laughs> took it from me. Let's start that seminar next week. Um, so I, I'm an LPCA. I'm a licensed professional counselor associate. Um, Oh, and uh, the clinic that I'm at, Healing and Recovery, here in uh, Louisville, Texas, uh, we actually work with uh, sex and porn addiction. Um, so it's uh, real. Clients. Yeah. Now, there within the academic world, there is a hard hard line. There's two sides, if you will, right? One that this is uh, freeing expression and 
and it can be something that is beneficial for people as an outlet. On the other half, you have individuals that are like our, 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 myself, I'll speak for myself, that is um, against it. And it is damaging, not just to the individual, but it's damaging to spouse, uh, significant other through betrayal trauma. Um, and it reduces our ability to connect. And so addictions in general, when we start to think about something that is addictive, right? So there's a reward system that's in place there. Um, but the other piece is this is, if something is addictive, that I guess we could say addiction comes down to something that we are doing or behavior, et cetera, that, or use of a substance that we want to stop doing, but we can't, we're struggling to be able to do that. Right. And so it's impeding our functionality. Um, and so that's where, as you look at that definition, some people could go, well, it's not impeding my functionality. So therefore it, for me, it's not an addiction, et cetera. Um, what addiction really comes down to is it's a disorder of connection, right? And that's one of the things that we focus on here is um, connecting with self and connecting with others. Because oftentimes when using porn as an example, when, when there's that desire, that, that craving for porn, there's actually an underlying need that's there. However, with the feeling that's associated, we're not sure what to do with the feelings that are coming up. And so we're like, oh, I'll just go to escape. I, I need this. I need porn because it's going to help me feel a certain way, powerful. It's going to make me feel desired. It's going to make me X, Y, Z, right? Let me just say one thing real quick. Yeah. When I think of porn, I just think of it as a means to an end, just to masturbate, ejaculate, and go, and go to bed. Is that how everyone thinks of it? Is that like the – No. For some people, it's their, it's their only – Like someone would actually connect. watch – sorry, go ahead. Connection. It can be – for some individuals, it can be their only form of, of like sexual connection. That might be all that, all that they know. Um, and so it, it can vary from person to person as to what it does for them. So one, one of the things that we ask when individuals come in with a porn addiction or sex addiction is we say, um, well, it feels great, right? And it, there's some good effects that, that can come from it in the moment. So why would you stop? Why do you want to stop, Right. Because there is a reason for them associated with it. Well, the, the shame that I feel afterwards or like it, it's it's damaging my relationship or it's something I've had to hide for years and years and years. Or it's because I have these feelings that come up for me and I don't I don't know what to do with them. And I just feel like, OK, I just need a quick escape. I just need a quick escape so I can, you know, into a mean and I can move on from that feeling. I don't have to feel that nasty feeling anymore. Right. Or that heavy feeling. Anymore. So it'll vary. Give me an example of that. I don't understand that part. You're saying that, Which piece? that, like, what would you be trying to escape from? What would porn, like, you want to smoke a cigarette, but instead of smoking your cigarette, you're trying to quit smoking, you put in some porn, or, or you're you're having m m memories of your dad beating you as a kid, so you you watch some porn to avoid it, like, yeah, you're saying yeah, that people watch stress. porn like a coping mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, no, that's, when I that's think not to say it's the only way. Right. The only reason, right? Well, the the simple way that I used to think of addiction, I think it was taught to me in high school or something, is like if you do, if if, you, if alcohol was always used, if something mm -hmm. happens when you're drunk that you regret, then you then you're addicted. So let's say you're driving when you're drunk and you hit someone or kill someone or you get arrested and you go to jail, then it's like, hey, dude, you have a problem. It's making you make bad choices. And so I and, and so if you were watching porn. And you were always worried about getting caught watching porn. Then it's like sort of an, an addiction. It's an, an 
that that's well, when you, those are some of the signs, the red flags that like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, anything that with it, your life is associated with shame, right? There's a deeper story there, right? There's yeah. a reason why that shame even comes up to begin with, because could we run into individuals that feel zero shame when when they look at porn? Absolutely. Right. right? However, it's more or less that underlying story, which goes down typically to family of origin. And so when you're looking at that, typically there's a belief that someone has about themselves. An example would be, um, man, I I never felt good enough for my dad. I never felt right. And so that feeling of like powerlessness, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy. We can go to find other things that get that stimulate us, that give us that dopamine hit that for a moment we feel good. Right. So we're escaping that that thought process of, man, I'm, I'm just never good enough for my dad. You know, I'm just and, and, I'm not and, and the person might not even know that that. Right. Right. So you get in like a shame cycle. So you feel these heavy emotions that you don't want to feel. And then that can lead to this desire to, well, I don't know what to do with this. I don't want to keep feeling this. So then from that piece, we go into, OK, well, I need to get away from it. Well, there's a list of addictive things that we can do gambling, porn, alcohol, drugs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Retail yeah. therapy, as they, they call it, right? Where people yeah. go out and they're spending, spending, spending. And then what happens is afterwards, we have that buyer's remorse. If we're going through the uh, retail therapy, like, man, I just spent all that money on that. Why did I do that? I don't even have the money to be spending right now. I'm, right. I'm you know, I'm blowing up my debt right now. This is horrible. Right. And we go into shame. Well, the moment we go back into shame, it takes us right back into that cycle again. The only way to really start to separate from that is we need to connect with what's actually going on with us. Yeah. And so to rise above that, you want to think, okay, I have these butt kickers, these major feelings that come up for me. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's uh, anger. Maybe, maybe it's uh, worthlessness, powerlessness. And I need to sit with that feeling a little bit to see what it's even connected to for me. Cause there's a need there. Right. Yeah. So, okay. I'm bored. Right. That can be a butt kicker for someone. I feel bored. So I'm going to look at porn. Right. Okay, well, bored. I'm bored. What do I actually need? Well, I need to feel like I'm doing something fulfilling. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, how do we resolve that need appropriately? Well, I could go do something productive or I could connect with myself. I could do something I enjoy for me that fills my tank. For me, that might like one of the things I love to do every day is I walk and a half miles, nice, easy pace. I just go out and walk and listen to podcasts, listen to you, listen to, to music, et cetera. Right. And I just, I do that. And that's a very productive means for me. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's self-care or I connect yeah. with other human beings. I connect with other people. We as human beings are social creatures. We crave connection. Right. And so it's the more we connect with ourselves, the more we can fill up our tank, the more that we connect with others, the more we can really get that tank to feel really full and fulfilled. And those are those connections that you have where you're like, you know, when you, when you feel like you're in a good spot with yourself and you go connect with someone else and it's that feeling afterwards of like, man, that was great. It was so great just to see so-and-so like that felt so awesome. Right. That kind of connection is really what we crave and what we're actually looking for is to be able to connect with ourselves in that way and love ourselves in that way as well yeah. as others. I want and uh, you, what you're describing to me is um, every time you say that connect with yourselves, I'm just thinking CrossFit. Mm-hmm. It's like I love exercising. It doesn't matter what I like. I have this assault bike in my garage and I'm fucking in love with it. And it sits in front of a TV set <laughs> yeah. and I can go in and I have dumbbells all around it and pull a yeah. bar and I can just go in there, put tight ass, put, put Ryan Moody, explosive coach in YouTube, put on my fucking headphones. 
I give myself the, no matter what the workout is, I give myself the space to like, you can, t- you can always stop and take notes. Anything Ryan says that you want to write. And then I get at it and yeah. I'll hang out in there from fucking 10 o'clock at night till midnight. And what does it feel like when you're done? I'm, I'm like, I'm fulfilled. I'm intellectually, physically, emotionally, like all, like maybe emotionally I'm drained. That's good. I'm physically drained. That's good. I'm intellectually stimulated. That's good. I'm um, sweating. I'm my body feels like all all the fucking boxes are checked. I'm connected. I'm connected to myself. It's like, it's the, you feel, I feel bad that I have it. I feel bad that I have a room that I can do that in from 10 to midnight every night. Like I, I don't really feel bad, but you know what I mean? That, I, I wish I, I guess what I mean, I don't feel bad. What I mean is, is like, I wish everyone had that. Oh yeah. And that's the thing is who teaches us this Savan? I, I just feel, I don't know. I just feel lucky. Like I stump. It's funny. Um, my, I feel sorry for runners sometimes and people who are stuck in there. like these just certain ways of training. Like, even if you don't like CrossFit, you have to get into CrossFit for a year because all the little things I've taken from it, I can bring to that room when I'm alone for two hours and do them. Like I might have not done box jumps for six months and now all of a sudden I'm doing box. Like the whole, the whole world of physical movement has opened up to me. Oh yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? That's, that's the thing is where you keep in mind all these, all these things that we're talking about, all these pieces that we're talking about. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not to shame anyone that doesn't know how to do it or how to get it. No one no. teaches us this. You don't learn this yeah. in school, right? There's, we don't go to a special emotional resilience class. Right. No one teaches us. Typically, you end up learning when you're in a position where you feel like you have nowhere else to turn and you're going to professional help. Mm. Right. So we're all doing the best we can with what we have and what we've observed through the learning of watching our parents or whoever was raising us. Right. Right. And that's what we have. We have that limited window. And until we start to learn more about ourselves, connect with others and as well as sometimes professional help. Right. Do we actually start to see that it's not this, our life is not this, it's way more broadened, there's way more to it. And as you're discovering in that self-care that you're doing for yourself, right, that is fulfilling, that is a big deal. And I would argue Huge. that if you stopped doing that, you would you would start to tank maybe emotionally or mentally because you recognize there's a piece of what fills your tank missing. It feels right. instead of like putting fuel into it, it feels like you're putting like an airy gas into it. It's not the same thing. Um, when I, I don't leave my, my sort of my, my habit, my, my life where I live my life in my little hamster cage very often. But when you, when you do go somewhere new, like, um, uh, well, it's the same thing with, like, I never would watch porn unless I went, like when I used to travel for work, that would just be the only time. But the, but when I travel for vacation or I, I left to Newport beach for two weeks, the house didn't have an assault bike. Hmm. So what I would do is I had I started walking a shitload and I started walking backwards on the beach. Oh, nice. You know what I mean? Good job, man. Or, or I would go to the store two miles away and buy like two cases of uh, top Topo Chico and, ha- and be like, you got to carry this shit home now. But but the shit had there had to be some work done. Right. There, like like I just I, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing is you're, you're doing what we're, what we're trying to help people to do and, and teach at times, which is essentially when your main, we'll, we'll call it for sake of this, this argument, right? Your coping mechanism. Let's, let's say it's the assault bike, right? Let's say yeah, it's a, yeah. co- but it's a positive yeah. one. Yeah. So, and, it used to, and it used to be um, uh, smoking. 
Okay. Okay. Like yeah. I got into I got into nicotine in my twenties and for like ten years, and it was an amazing one. Like yeah, you could, yeah. you could avoid eating, you could be calm, you could focus on your breathing. It's like, it was like right. evil, evil yoga, evil, evil meditation. Yoga. Yeah. You know what I mean? Smoking's like evil yoga. Yeah. 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 Utilizing that assault bike when, when it's gone, it's like, well, crap, what do I do now? Right. And so that's the thing is it's, uh, so Mark Bird, who owns the practice. But I would have I, never thought to turn to porn. It's weird. Yeah. Like that there's uh-huh. this common denominator between all of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. So, because my addiction, kind of like you said, it leads to something good. Smoking mm-hmm. and porn, there, there's a, a there's a, a price to pay. My biggest thing is I have to worry about like orthopedic calamity, right? I have to worry about like my knee mm-hmm. hurting or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, so Mark Bird, who owns a practice that I work for, the guy's amazing, like one of the best in the country, and um, one of the one of the things that he expressed uh once in one of our group our group sessions with our 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 men addicts is uh he was talking about uh, you remember the movie uh runaway bride with richard Gere and uh, julia roberts and she kept trying to marry these guys and she would end up running uh the moment like she was supposed to walk down the aisle she would freak out anyways richard Gere comes in i think he's like a journalist and he's writing stories about this woman and what she what she's doing there you go Caleb's killing it, man. Um, and one of the things that was interesting in the movie, right, is is she, he asked them, ask her, like, how she likes her eggs. And it's always this the same way that the guy that she might be marrying likes his eggs. And towards the end of it, you know, he's like, you really need to figure out what, what kind of eggs you like, right? And so she spends all this time in the kitchen making all these different types of eggs. And she comes back to him and she's like, oh, it's this kind. It's this kind, right? However, if we take that, and we utilize that as kind of like a metaphor in our lives is you, you might love the assault bike. That might be like your scrambled eggs that you enjoy. However, it's important for you to also explore the other variations of eggs, if you will, or other ways right. in which you can fill your tank so that if, if the assault bike's not there, you know where to turn to, right? It's when we don't do that, that we start to freak out and shut down. We're like, what do, what do I do? But in the case for you, you recognized that I still need to be doing something. So I'm going to walk. And not only am I going to walk, I'm going to walk to X amount of miles to get Topo Chico, or I'm going to go on the beach and I'm going to walk backwards, right? These are great examples of, I'm still going to find ways to do the thing that I need for me because this is for me and this is important and I matter. Right. And, and, and it, it would, when you're on those trips, it is easy to be like, well, I'll just swing by the liquor store and pick up some <laughs> chewing tobacco, but you can't, you cannot, yeah. you cannot, you cannot go backwards. Um, and, and in that regard, I have sympathy for people who running is their, their therapy because I don't, I don't think there's longevity there. You, you really, I, I don't mean to plug mm-hmm. CrossFit, fuck those guys, but fuck, it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Thank God Greg Glassman put that shit together. Cause you gotta, you gotta figure out, you gotta go to fucking your, your L1 if you're a human being and get all those tools and take them to your grave. They, they will, they will fucking save you. They'll give you so many outlets. Um, how old are you? Um, I'll turn 38 in February. Wow. And you know, and you know that because that movie you, you, uh, referenced was 1999, you know, yeah. your movies. Yes, sir. Um, uh, how, when, when was the first time you, you, um, jumped? The, what are your earliest memories of jumping? Third grade. Um, so I, I played basketball growing up. I was also in martial arts. I was in Taekwondo. Um, and so jumping was obviously in both of those, um, and when I first got a basketball goal, when I was eight years old, 
Um, I you mean, like you got a, you had a hoop at your house, your parents. Put yeah, yeah that was for Christmas sort of thing. Okay. Um, this is like 93. And um, I it was one you could lower and like all the way down to like six foot or something like that. Five foot, something low. Right. And um, I remember being like, OK, I'm 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 not the biggest kid. I'm not really tall. I'm kind of fast. Uh, but it would be awesome to be able to dunk, it would be awesome to be able to jump. And so from a very young age, I used to practice like taking a tennis ball or whatever and trying to dunk on the lowest height of the basketball goal. And then over time, I, I'd work my way up. Um, and so at five, nine and a half in high school, I um, I was finally dunking by the time I was like 18. Um, but yeah, so that's that's my earliest memories with it. So jumping has always been a part of it, but I didn't know that I could do what I could do or where, where I could take it until I was actually a post snowboarding accident when I was uh, going to Boise state university. Um, it's in a rough snowboarding accident and ended up breaking off part of my femur. Um, that was, that's the one, the femur's the one like the, be, between the like long your hip one, yeah. and your knee. Basically like the, the hardest one to break. Yeah. Um, wow. That one sounds really bad to break. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember much of it. Um, I sustained like, Were you a professional my, snowboarder or a collegiate no, snowboarder or no recreational. No, okay. No, fucking like my, worse. Yeah. It was like my first time. Um, I did really well on the bunny Hills, went to the big Hills with my buddies did fine. And they're like, Hey, let's hit these jumps. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. You know, and I'm watching them go and they're not, there's not a lot of speed as they're hitting the jump. And I'm like, dude, if you're going to do this, you got to go boss to the wall. Right. And so I'm booking it down this hill. And all of a sudden, I recognize a few things. One, I've never been this fast on a snowboard. Two, I'm not really good at stopping. And no one showed me how to land. Three, right? Um, the next thing I know, I'm waking up. And my buddies are laughing at the top of the hill that we're at. And it's like a yard sale. All my gears everywhere, right? And uh, I'm totally out of it. And I go to, and I never made it to the jump. Um Oh and, shit. Yeah. Yeah. I sustained like my seventh or eighth concussion at that time. Um, I'm very accident prone. Uh, anyways, ended up straightening my legs and my kneecaps kind of moved from one side to the other in a really weird way. And I was like, Oh, something, something's bad. And so I was snowmobiled down the mountain to the lodge to get some, uh, did you go into shock? Were you going into shock? Um, possibly. I, I don't remember a whole, a whole lot. I just remember staring up at the sky. A lot. Because a femur break is like no crap. bueno. That's got to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the very, it was the very end of the femur neck, uh, next to basically the knee. Right. And it was like, basically this, this part of the femur, that chunk was broken off. Um, oh, and it was when I, when I eventually had surgery, I had surgery on both my knees back here in Dallas, uh, when, when I was off from school, um, and they did work on both of them, but that part of the femur was actually removed. So I don't have that part of my femur anymore. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, rough. And then I did my own therapy. I was in kinesiology school, um, for my undergraduate at Boise state. And I actually, uh, at the time, um, I had, let's see, 2008, I got certified, at Santa Cruz HQ, uh, January, 2008. Were you there? Were you at that one? That was a big I, one. I, that, I, that's when OPT did the, uh, the Helen workout. Oh shit. Yeah. 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 I was, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I I don't I don't think I was there at that cert, but I remember that because uh, I remember Tony Budding got hit this uh, this it was like the it was before Gimbals. 
and he oh. had this vest where he could run after OPT and it would keep the camera from bouncing. And we were all excited yeah. to see that piece of equipment implement. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's some crazy. He, and he broke the world record for Helen there, right? Yeah. 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 Crazy. You were at that seminar. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was like OGs out the wazoo. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. That's that was, nuts. Yeah. Wow. The, the, dude. The names that were at that, that seminar was just insane. That's when Greg used to the, teach the whole thing. Greg like taught the whole thing, right? Three days long or whatever. Uh, I think um, uh, I want to say Castro may have been running Flowmaster. Um, okay. That's I, that's when I first met Rob Wolf. Um, that's when I met Kelly Starrett. Um, they taught sections. Nicole did uh, nutrition. The old uh, video with Nicole doing um, nutrition, where she says, "You know, uh, f with your diet," right? Uh, yeah. That, that was that seminar. Um, Annie Annie was there. Um, Greg Amundsen was there. Oh, dude, it was Pat Barber was there. It was nuts. It, it was insane. Pat Barber was probably he was a kid then. <laughs> he was he was young. I, I wasn't much younger than him at the time. Um, yeah, Nat, Natalie Shatila was there. I mean, yeah, it's just crazy the amount of names that were there. Um, and I, I I was still brand new to CrossFit. I found it in like summer two thousand seven. Yeah, um, I watched you know the games on YouTube. But anyways. Uh, what was that? What was the original question? My ADHD is taking uh, um, over. How, so we're talking about jumping and you oh, had yeah, this injury accident. and this, in, even though you learned to dunk at 18 after this injury, it kind of reinvigorated yeah. your jumping career. Right. So um, I didn't play basketball any bit after high school. I, I stopped actually like my junior year, I stopped. Um, and then going to college, I'd play for fun, but, uh, and I, I could always jump and people were always like, man, this, this short white dude can jump. Um, which was, which is good. I always had that, you know, in my back pocket, but, uh, I, I actually was helping bring CrossFit methodology to Boise at the time. Um, the next closest gym was like almost 45 minutes to an hour away. Um, so there's an early, early 300 gyms in 08 or something. Yeah. It was low, gyms, yeah. low number. And, um, anyway, oh, so I was like, you know what? I, oh yeah. I was going to use um, what I what I've been learning through schooling as well as through CrossFit, and I was going to do my own therapy, and I did. Um, and then I recalled that in basketball we used to do plyometrics, you know, jumps, box jumps, etc. In the off season, and I was like, maybe there's something to that because that's range of motion and that's power. So I'm going to start really low, like a plate on the floor, right, and try to get that back. And before I knew it, I was uh, jumping uh, 60 inches with a couple steps, and then the members at the gym at the time we're like, you should see if there's a world record for this. And I was like, nah. Wow. And then it piqued my interest. Yeah. And, um, I ended up once I graduated from Boise state, went down to university of Utah. Uh, I, uh, I had always heard about this gym called CrossFit 801, which was Tyson and Miranda's gym. And, uh, I was like, that's where I want to train. So and that was in went, Salt Lake city. Yeah. That was in Salt Lake. Yeah. Well, Midvale, but yeah, Salt Lake city. And, uh, ended up becoming a trainer there. And one day I was doing some jumps on their tires and they both pushed me. They're like, Hey, you should see if there's a world record for this and we'll support you. We'll get a camera, you know, the news here to do the whole thing. And, um, so eventually, eventually we did. And I broke the first world record at like five in the morning at the, on the news, um, Crazy. with everyone there. Yeah. Hey, was there a yeah. lot of stress on you when you did that? Were you like, Oh shit, what if I don't, Dude, do I didn't, I didn't sleep that night any bit i was freaking out i kept having dreams that i was missing the jumps yeah. and i wake up like oh crap like I, I actually last night woke up in a panic thinking i missed 
um, today's podcast. podcast. Welcome to my life. That's every right? night when I go to sleep. It fucking sucks. <laughs> sucks. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I was super stressed. And one of the members at the time, Heidi, she saw that I was like breathing really rapid and I was freaking out. And I had to go on the, the news station's time. So when they're like, we're live, I had to go. I didn't have a choice. I couldn't go when I was ready. Right. Which I, I never wanted to do that again. Um, and so she sat down with me on the floor. She put her back against the wall, put my my back against her chest. And she put her hands on my chest and she said, breathe with me to get me to calm down. And I think the first time I started learning about the power of like breathing and releasing. And I, I ended up taking a, a class later at the U for stress management because I have a lot of anxiety and ADHD and all that fun stuff. And I learned about um, different techniques that are used in Taoism and Buddhism around breathing. And I ended up developing what's called a whiteboard mindset, which is a three-step process that's used to be able to calm yourself down and to, you are talking about your son earlier in tennis, uh, to tap into what, what we call that sixth or seventh gear, right? To turn it on. Um, and that's something I teach in the, the uh, seminars now. And people message me all the time after the seminars. So like, dude, the whiteboard mindset is legit. It helped me clear my mind so I could do this, that, et cetera. And I actually originally created not for breaking world records. I created it to help me with exams in school because I'm a, I struggle to um, take exams. I had a lot of anxiety around taking tests. Why do you call it the whiteboard mindset? It's so funny. When I type in whiteboard mindset. Um, it pulls up a lot of whiteboards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why, why do you call it that? Oh, here we go. Uh, mindset, meditation, and language. Oh, no, that's someone else. I I do have videos out there, but I don't have a lot of videos out there for it because I, I, I keep that kind of um, for seminar guest um, okay. only for the most part. Or when I when I do speaking engagements uh, with with different corporations, I'll teach teach their employees, stuff like that. But um, so I call it the whiteboard mindset because our, our mind is very much so like a whiteboard. Right. We can fill it with all sorts of stuff. Right. And it can really clog, you know, that that whiteboard up. And unlike a whiteboard, we struggle to be able to erase it and clear it, right? To be able to calm calm ourselves down. And um, uh, no one's really taught us how to do that. And yeah, there's some grounding techniques that we can use. Um, however, I utilize it like that because it's easier for people to picture. The other two pieces around this is almost every CrossFit gym you go to has a whiteboard, right? Where cats on a whiteboard. So in the CrossFit community, people can relate to that already. And then the other piece is there um, was research done a while back, I believe, with Tibetan monks um, around a uh, form of there's video somewhere on YouTube for this. Um, around, I believe it's called Shikantaza, uh, which is like sitting in a tranquil state and an absence of thought. And they had these monks sitting in meditation in a room that was like 40 degrees. And um they had them focus on the color white because supposedly white can create heat and energy in, in the mind and the body. And then they had them derobe. They took ice, uh, white like beach towels, doused them in ice water and then wrapped their bodies in these towels. And the average individual would go into hypothermia pretty quickly. And um, these monks were able to, there you go. Silent illumination. And yeah, see, does not require focused attention on a specific object, et cetera, et cetera. Just sitting in a state of conscious awareness. Yeah, there you go. Man, Caleb is crushing it. Was that you or was that Caleb, Savon? Caleb, Caleb, Caleb. Gosh, he's man, he's good. He's good. 
Um, so yeah, you're sitting in this the, this state, and these monks are there, and the average individual will go into hypothermia, right? Because the the blood's going to start to recede to keep the core um, warm, right? So that you stay functional, so you survive. And what was interesting in like the first, uh, well, they were they sat in these positions for like ten hours plus um, in meditation, which obviously they're you know masters of their art um, in meditation. But the other thing is they took like a, I don't know if it's called a thermogenic scanner where it scans like the body heat, right? The body temperature. And the, typically in a situation like this, you would see it centered right Ar around the center of the body where it's keeping organs alive, keeping you alive. However, the heat was being expelled from them and they were actually able to dry the towels completely as if the towels came out of a dryer, like fluffy again. Um, it's pretty amazing. But that's the other piece is I use the whiteboard or the color white as a distraction point for individuals mm. when I teach this. So see the whiteboard, clear it, and just focus on the color white. And it's meant as a distraction. Then we go into, and there's breathing releasing with this that happens. And then we go into, okay, what's my task? So you open your eyes. Oh, it's a uh, seated box jump. Got it. Okay. Then close your eyes again, breathe in and out. When you open your eyes, you have three seconds or less to perform the task. Mm. Now, why would I give them three or sec three seconds or less? What do you think? So that their mind doesn't start back up. Absolutely. Because the more we start thinking about stuff, the more we talk ourselves out of doing it. Right. Uh, uh, skateboarding is a fascinating uh, example of that. You get, no one wants to try anything once they've thought about it. You put a kid at the top of my uh, top of a drop in and he starts thinking, he's like, I'm not, nah, nah. Mm -hmm. No one in their right mind is having thoughts where they do this. The brain the whole time is like, Hey, jackass, get off your board and go, go, <laughs> go watch some porn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It, exactly. It's a five. It's a five-hour seminar, um, mm -hmm. but not sitting down. It's, it's no, it's, no. It's it, learn, move, learn, move, learn, dude. move. You know, in all honesty, it's like the old CrossFit level ones where you would do a lot of workouts that yeah. involve. You know, and it just felt felt like a, a physical beatdown sometimes. So I have people that are really sore, you know, and so I always tell people, hey, don't don't go too hard, don't go ham, and in day one because if you come back for day two, our level two seminar. Right. You're going to you're going to be hurting some. Um, yeah. When, when I was um, in the fourth grade, my at the end of my fourth grade year, my school <clears throat> shut down mm. and I had to go to a different school and the school was a mile up the hill from my house. Both and, ways. I'm sorry. It was a, it was a mile uphill both ways. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so that the first day of school uh, in fifth grade. Uh, this story was inspired by what you said about having anxiety, like the day before the jump or before, like, well, you know, you're going to have to be on a podcast in the morning. And I wrote, I got up and uh, that morning and I got to, and I rode my bike there um, mm. and it was freezing cold. And, uh, and when I say freezing cold, I mean, it's probably like 40 degrees. Uh, and California I rode, cold. Yeah. California cold. And I, and I rode my bike up there and I, Lock my, and I'm the first one there at school. None of the teachers are there, no janitors. And I'm, I'm in a little bit of a panic. I probably left the house like at 5 or 6 a.m. like an idiot. I don't know why my, my mom told me, did, didn't set me straight. But I get there, and I think maybe I've, I've gone up on the wrong day because there's no one there. <laughs> there's no one right? there. Like, yeah. like somehow I fucked up. Oh, it's like geez. a dream, but this isn't a dream. This really happened to me. Yeah. And, then, and then the first car pulls up, and a gentleman gets out of the car – and he comes over and introduces himself to me and he tells me his name's Mr. Allen. 
And I quickly realized that he's the principal of the school and he's mm. the husband to my Jeez. kindergarten teacher who I've had a crush on since kindergarten. And now I'm in the fifth grade and I realize she's married. So now I've gotten there an hour early. I realized that there's no chance of me ever marrying my kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and, 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 and people start coming now. And now my anxiety now I realize I'm there on the right day. And then another 40 minutes pass or an hour passes and school starts. And I go to my classroom and by now mm -hmm. I'm just exhausted. Mm. I got up too early. I'm physically exhausted from the ride. I'm emotionally tapped. And I just, um, it's, it's a trip. How that, that's kind of the, uh, not to that extent, of course, because, um, <clears throat> but, but that is a, that is a theme in my, that is a theme in my life. This podcast starts at 7am. I get up at six mm -hmm. and immediately start working towards, like, I just don't want to be late. I want to show up to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I want to show up. Um, I mean, you didn't marry my kindergarten teacher. <laughs> so I, so I like you a little bit more. But it, but it just right brought on. back that memory. It just brought back that memory. Being late sucks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, have you ever had an experience in your life, Savan, where being late um, led to a feeling of, of shame or disappointment from others? When you were younger? I'll, I'll, I have to ask myself that and see if something pops up. I do know this. I, um, the other day, I was late to – it was the first time I was ever missed a podcast time. I, was, I, I asked a guy if he could come on an hour early, if he could come on at 6 a.m. instead of 7 a.m. Mm. And then I – and then after it was like my 600th podcast maybe, and I was late. This was just last week. And oh. what that does to me is crazy. It's like – um. When, when you lock your doors at night before you go to bed, if I wake up in the morning and I see a door that's unlocked, the, the, for the next three months, I have to check all the doors 10 times. Mm -hmm. It can fucking put me into a fucking tailspin. And so what, it, what is it, that it, feeling? What is that feeling? Like, um, I'm disappointed in myself that I wasn't conscious enough. Like, you know, if you ever check something and then two minutes, like I used to ride a motorcycle and I put a backpack on and then I'd ha I have to pull over and, t and stop the motorcycle and get off and check the backpack again to see if it's really zipped. But I have to like talk to myself out loud. Dickhead, it's zipped. Don't get off the motorcycle again. But it only takes once to get to a location and see that it's unzipped and it's like, Oh no. Yeah. yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it seems like, how could that happen? Yeah. I, 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 wonder I don't know what it feels like, but I, but I just don't want to accept it. Like things it, it's, it, I just don't want to accept it's, it's, it's fucking it's, it's, it's uh, I don't want to say it's torturous because part of me finds the whole thing pretty funny, but some <laughs> nights, but some nights, and I'm sure some people have it way worse than me, but there's some nights where I climb into bed and I know the doors are locked, but I know mm -hmm. if I don't get up and check them, I, I just won't sleep. It's kind of like yeah. writing. It, same thing if I'm in bed and I am think, uh, make sure uh, you ask Ryan um, uh, if he's ever injured himself jumping. I can't be like, oh, write that down and don't worry, you won't forget. No fucking way. I will get up and mm -hmm. write it down. And then as soon mm -hmm. as I write it down, I'm free from it. Yeah. yeah, but if security. I don't, yeah, I'm like, oh, whew. yeah, oh. That, that that peace of mind, right? That security. It makes me wonder, like, in those moments where 
uh, you're talking about on the motorcycle where you use like a variation of, of shame to uh, tell yourself like, look, dickhead, it's, it's yeah. zipped. Right. And then yeah. you learn later that it's not, you're like, crap. It'd be interesting to see what it would look like to say, I give my per- myself permission to look at this once. Right. And, and then I'm done. It wouldn't matter what I say. It, it, uh, I should probably tr- tr- try to, to be nice to myself. The thing is this, I, I'm disappointed that I feel like I was unconscious the first time I checked the doors. That's where the shame is. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I put a lot of a, uh, um, a, a premium on being uh, conscious. Yeah. Because someone taught you that in your life, right? You observed uh, that from someone. I, I think I, yeah, I probably read it in a book somewhere in, mm-hmm. in my twenties or like, you know what I mean? I probably read it in my a book mm-hmm. somewhere or it's just yeah. a goal. I don't even know that it's just a goal. Being conscious is it's so much better to be conscious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Awareness, self-awareness, like that's that's huge. And the being high, able to, the high, to utilize yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So I just threw away all my motorcycles. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, can so. anyone Can anyone dunk? Uh, no. No. Wow. No. Wow. Does that break no. your heart to say that? You're like, oh, I really don't want to argue anyone's limitations, but no, yeah. you're, no, Colton, you cannot dunk. <laughs> Colton Mertens. Oh, man. I don't know. Col- Colton's got some power, man. That kid has some power. He's super impressive. What's the shortest uh, guy in the world to dunk? I, I, uh, w- wasn't that guy in the NBA 411 like Muggsy Bogues or some shit? Muggsy Bogues, five, I think. Four? I want to say Muggsy was like 5'3 uh, or something, but then there was – um. This guy a little bit taller than him that could could dunk. I can't remember his name right now. I want to say it was like five six, five seven. I remember um, there was another but, guy. There were two. There was like a time when it was like there were the two guys, the trendy guys in the league who were who were tiny. Uh, so yeah. five two oh, yeah. short. Oh yeah, Flight Brothers. Yeah, I was gonna. I was literally gonna say five two. I want to say I've seen a five two dunker before. Is that really a dunk though? I don't know if that's a dunk. So he he's basically. In a, in a way like alley-ooping himself, right? He's just going off the bounce. So typically when you have a shorter dunker, this is a variation that you're going to see in part because um, holding onto the ball is going to take away from their arm swing, right? So they're yeah. using that arm swing as a scoop to be able to develop even more power. Typically, uh, shorter individuals that are going to go up to dunk will not hold the ball because they're going to lose some of that power and or they're going to have trouble palming the ball. Right. Um, and so Spud Webb, Spud Webb, not Spud Johnson, Johnson, Spud Webb. Yes. Good job, Spud Dylan. Nice. Nice. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So when you hold the ball, you're losing some of the mechanics to get high. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that scoop plays a huge role. Um, and think of it like this. Uh, you ever watch Seinfeld? Yeah, a little bit. You remember the girl who wouldn't swing her arms when she ran? No, no, but I like that. <laughs> same, same concept. People won't. Yeah. Look at uh, Spud Webb, dude. Amazing. Oh, and now that he's dunking. Oh, he's for sure dunking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like yeah, that's, yeah. that's incredible, incredible. Um, but yeah, you want to you want to utilize your arms, right? Uh, I watch people box jump all the time, and they're not really utilizing their arms, or they're using their arms uh, in a counterproductive way. So instead of using their arms to scoop, they're jumping and landing with their arms coming back to their hips. So they're actually working wow. against themselves. Yeah, wow. That happens all the time. People don't people don't see it because you're not really looking for it, right? So it makes a big difference though. You, you've seen um, like in the cartoons, they'll show people running with their arms back like this. <laughs> like you know? Naruto. Yeah. Um, my, my, uh, my kids, that's how little kids run. 
Yeah. Like if they, you see little kids, like it was only like fortune. And I never told my kid to swing his arms. But one day the tennis coach goes, run on your toes and swing your arms. And he looks at me, and goes, like, well, what the fuck, dude? You spend so much. You, why have you been letting your kid run like this? And it just changed my kid right, like instantaneously. Right, but they, right. he literally, my he, my oldest son would run like this, like it was like some sort of like joke cartoon character. <laughs> and I would just like watch awesome. it and laugh. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like we're 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 utilizing our environment, right? We're we're utilizing our environment to uh, have observed learning. So if someone doesn't teach us this, then you know, what are we going to do with that? Um, what, what's and, the, okay, Kayla, what's this getting, is this, we're going to show, show someone running with their arms behind there. Yeah. Somebody's supposed to Naruto run around here somewhere, I guess. It's not oh. <laughs> Was yeah. that a live feed where aliens were going to, okay. How tall is Ryan? Um, five foot nine and a half, uh, five, 10 on a tall day. Wow. Uh, Heidi, Heidi only cares to, because she's trying to figure out, are, are, are you single? Yeah. So he's five nine nine and uh single, but but with shoes on he's five ten. <laughs> hey, every Basically. show is a therapy session from for me. Every every, <laughs> every show. I won't I won't I won't bill you though. It's okay. Thank you. you yeah. It's it's an interesting um combination. Uh, being a LPCA. Yep. Basically a therapist. Yeah. Uh and a um but also a uh, explosive coach. Yeah. So which one's yeah. a hot are either of them a hobby or both of them? Are they, they compete for your time? Um, Do they integrate well together? So n- neither are a hobby per se. Um, Cause for more the greater part of a decade being a CrossFit coach and being um, a uh, like teaching a CrossFit CEU, uh, which level one is, 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 I actually have to update it, but it, um, it's a, a CEU. Uh, that was, that personal training was like a lot of my life. I, right. I've, I've taught over 500 seminars in the world in 40 countries on six continents. Wow. Um, wow. So Holy shit. Yeah, Say that again. 500 seminars on six continents. Yeah. Yeah. 40 different countries. Yeah. That's not a, a hobby at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was doing, doing it at a, you know, arguably a high level. Um, but then, I, and everyone knows you. I couldn't believe it when I had you on. I can't believe how many texts and DMs um, poured in. Oh, I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy. And even Dave said uh, when you asked the question, he goes, "Holy shit, this is an OG. This is you know Ryan Moody, <laughs> been in the community forever." Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I I try to connect with as many people as possible. You know, and being being around in the community for a long period of time, right? I competed in the 2009 CrossFit Games on team. Yeah, and so yeah. you just you just connect with people. Right. Um, and with a seminar that took it to a whole nother level. Cause I've had tens of thousands over the, you know, more than a decade of people coming through the seminars. Right. You know, I, I have gyms that have hosted the seminar five times, six times. Wow. Um, and, and you so, teach yeah. it. You're the guy. Yeah, I, I do have, I have had in the past coaches, um, that were assisting me in that. Um, I, now that the seminars have picked back up post COVID, whatever you want to call that. Right. Um, thank you. I appreciate you saying that, whatever you want to yeah, call it. I do. Yeah. Uh, we're in this post-apocalyptic COVID thing. I don't know. Um, so if it's officially over, but really the uh, wet blanket was put on humanity's consciousness, that one wet blanket you talked about. Yeah. Fucking sad. Yeah. But 
I, I'm starting to bring some coaches back into helping teach again. Um, I had a buddy of mine, Tafui, um, who lives up in Utah. He came with me most recently to seminars that I taught in Ecuador um, at the largest um, fitness expo in South America. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's the thing is like CrossFit's amazing because you can go anywhere, right? And you feel belonging. Um, I've only yeah. ever had one CrossFit gym where there was ever a negative experience and I wasn't teaching there. Um, but, and that was in Australia, but that's neither here nor there, but the, uh, they were yeah, drunk. Give them a pass. They were drunk. <laughs> yeah, <them> a pass. <laughs> drunk. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome to hear the community reach out to you and, and express, Oh, I know him. I know him. Da, da, da. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I try to throughout my career in CrossFit, I've tried to connect with as many people as possible. You know, I've worked 50 games athletes over the years. Um, and, uh, People in media, Marston, Heber. Um, uh, I think we've been in the same room together, but I don't think we've ever officially met in person, um, you and I. But um, yeah, so it, it's interesting. And I've, I've spent some time with Dave because originally we we're going to try, we we're, we were talking about making the seminar a CrossFit seminar, um, but we ended up not, I ended up choosing not to go that route because I wanted, I wanted to keep it as mine. It, it's interesting you know that year at the games they had the uh l sit and the um softball throw they they had the and uh and i think they had a way to pull there was a bunch of shit that was like just worth like 50 points do you remember that the uh 2009 no 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 it was like it was when it was in carson but they did a bunch of events oh, that oh, were yeah. instead, you know normally the events are worth 100 points they did some year right. where there was a bunch of shit that was like 50 points yes i do remember that i remember um, the softball throw oh they and i think they had the broad jump one year and they yes, kind yeah. and they kind of had to rush it. Something happened, and they had to rush it. So they did it down. They did it. Um, in uh, tunnel, right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Because I think didn't uh, Nate Schrader win that one? I think he did. Wow, good man. Um, OPEX guy. Nate I believe Schrader. so. Yeah, I'm just trying to yeah. match you on like uh, tidbits. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. Uh. Y- y- I like the I like the idea of a vertical uh, jump pot showing up at the games. So I've I've wanted for a long time for there to be a vertical jump and or a higher box jump. I was really excited this year to see them doing those box jump overs on the 42 inches. Um, 50, 52, right? Was it 52? Oh, geez. Something crazy. Yeah, it's high. Um, I've wanted someone to see it. Say, someone will say in the comments, but you basically saw that um, uh, Colton had to do basically like a, a walk up jump to it. Oh yeah. 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 Which at the end of the day, like if, if it doesn't say you had to do it from a standing position, do it, run it, run at it, right. whatever you got to right. do. Right. Right. Um, oh, I, I wanted to jump back to something you said earlier, please, Savannah, please. if that's all right. Um, you were talking about oh, the hobbies. Show's over. Sorry. <laughs> I guess you had to bring me back then. <laughs> um, so I, uh, neither one is really a, a hobby. I mean, my, my oh, primary yes, career, yes. My primary career is being a therapist um, and coaching, et cetera. I still do personal training. I still teach seminars is kind of an auxiliary, right? It's something else I get to do that allows me to travel, you know, for free and make money while doing it and, and, you know, teach people. And I, but I don't have to worry about, Oh, I got to get this next seminar. I got to get another one. Right. Right. I I have uh, being a therapist is awesome. And it helps a lot too with teaching. Um, but one of the one of the things that I'm working on putting together, and I can only give so much detail right now, um, uh, disclosure wise, 
uh, I'm working on meshing um, the world of CrossFit, if you will, and mental health in a singular program um, that's that's utilized in kind of a uh, you can think of it as like a camp type format. Um, but we're, like we're sleep, working like on that right sleepover, now. like sleepover. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. So we're working on on putting that together in a very big way. It's going to start in a more therapeutic sense, meaning these are going to be individuals that they have to have referrals from their therapist. So oh, they're already okay. in the recovery process. Right. Um, but eventually we're going to open that up to general population. Um, so that's a big thing that's coming down the, the chute, hopefully uh, within the next year. It's awesome. All, all the happy. <clears throat> I want to say something really extreme. I was gonna say, I don't know anyone happy who doesn't um, exercise. Uh, b- basically, um, all the non-exercise people I know are, 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 are fear-based people. And by non-exercise people, I mean even the people who like – like my dad doesn't per se exercise, but he's 82. And, you know, every day he has orchards, right? He's, he's uh, mm. um, his orchards and he, he manages orchards and yeah. ladders and moving hoses and digging oh, holes. Yeah. And anyone who's not doing something physically every single day, every single day, every single day. Are, are, are their fear they're all fear-based people it's a trip and their lives mm-hmm. suck all of them sorry my wife doesn't like me to say all but I'm, i can't think of i can't think of one who's not um and fear-based people are tough to be around yeah I, I, they're I, tougher to, for, to let my kids be around them too i i could see I can see that. They're always arguing your limitations. They're always right. arguing limitations. They're they're an right. anchor on humanity. When you hang out with them, they are um and that's why I love the idea of this mm-hmm. camp you're doing. And I love the idea of a therapist who is movement based. Like I'm sure you've said it a thousand times, uh you know, what do you do for movement? And dude, walking. I was so impressed when Mark Bell put that thing out there. Here he is, mm-hmm. this big fucking buff, handsome guy. And his challenges is like, hey, I'm going to walk. I'm going to just spend a day walking. Come walk mm-hmm. with me. It's like, mm-hmm. God, you're fucking cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's amazing just how much walking does for us when we really when we, we actually utilize it as a means of like, this is going to be self-care for me. I'm not doing this because I have to or right. that it's prescribed for me to do. But really even utilizing it as a form of kind of filling in your need to your non-exercise, uh, non-exercise uh, activity thermogenesis uh, throughout the day um, is huge because you can, you can burn so many calories just going on a basic walk. Um, you can burn more calories in that over the period of like an hour than you can in some CrossFit workouts, right? Which are a higher intensity that, that um, require a lot of us. You can, you can really, um, make a lot of difference. But the other piece of that's really important is, is we as human beings are meant to move. We're meant to move in how we've been created. And so by tapping into that, we're actually feeding ourselves part of what we need. And that can help our, our mentality a ton. I mean, we know that in, when we work out or we exercise, right, there's the endorphin release. One of the big things right around serotonin that we feel like after doing a workout or something we've accomplished is when we when we work out, it actually increases the production of what creates serotonin. It doesn't actually create the serotonin, is my understanding. It increases the productivity of that, and right, so that creates that happier mindset. And so it's a lot harder to be in that depressed mindset. Yeah, you might dip back into that. However, the more that we do it daily, etc., the more we're actually really helping ourselves, not just physically but mentally. Right. 
It's all mental for me. That's, that's hey, fair. Um, my kids jump a lot. I've always been a huge proponent of jumping. I've like, watched the videos, man. It's awesome. Like huge. Um, and I think what I'm observing from their jumping is a a a, a gnarly. Uh, I don't know what this thing is called. That that I guess it's called the Achilles tendon, the thing that go, attaches that that um, wire that you can back. pinch on the back of their ankle. Mm-hmm. Achilles. Yeah. Um, is that true? You think you think because my kids jump so much that that thing's uh, like uh, thickening at a faster pace than than you're just your regular fucking just fat you know, kid I, playing Nintendo? Because man, they see they look so they look abnormally thick on my kids, and when so, I squeeze them, I'm I trip on them. <laughs> so it's possible. I know that there's research out there. I'm not going to be able to speak to any of it, you know, in right. a way that's going to be any bit uh, legitimate at the moment. Um, around doing more activity, especially being more upright, potentially thickening that and the growth development phases. Um, so yeah, is, is that a possibility? Absolutely. Like some um, sort of adaptation, right? Like their body's like, Oh yeah, this kid's going to use it. Right. Yeah. Th- yeah. Right. This is just at a hotel. Oh, like this is like, <laughs> did you see him bounce that? Yeah. Watch, watch his landing. He hits, he sits in these. Yeah. So that's, that's so awesome. we see, we do this naturally. Right. When he lands, he utilizes the momentum of the landing and he doesn't land like when you see adults jump and land, they land in this stiff position. And they're like, oh, my back. Oh, my knees. Yeah. Yeah. You see here, it's very parkour where he's utilizing the momentum and the energy and he's dispersing it out in the landing. And then even falling forward, he, he bounces out of it some, which actually saves the joints. I see him slap his hands on the ground, almost yeah. even little jumps. He yeah. slaps his hands on the ground. Always, mm-hmm. he's always slapping his hands on the ground. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot that can be done. You know, there, I always hear about people saying like, oh, uh, you know, jumping can do damage to the joints. Yes, absolutely. You, you land incorrectly. You're not taught how to land. Absolutely. Um, we do a lot of running, rolling, running, uh, yeah. running, rolling, running, jumping, rolling. Yeah, yeah, I try to. I want them to be comfortable. Um, falling in the land yeah so body like send that energy yeah. Huge. yeah 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 absolutely and, and jump I'm up encouraged. right sorry to interrupt you but i for every i tell them for every time they jump down you have mm-hmm. to do a jump up meaning they would jump down that flight of stairs and then i would make them jump up one by one so it's not just always the mm-hmm. impact of jumping down it's right. jump up a flight right. of stairs yeah. one stair at a time too right get the balance right. absolutely yeah you want to have essentially both phases right of that so having that balance is important. It would be like um, only training your quads and never training your hamstrings, right? You, you need to have both. You, we want to develop both. Um, and that was actually one of the biggest things from Louis that I learned is uh, how much we really don't do our hamstrings. We think we do, but we don't. Um, give me, give that, me an that, example. Like what, what's a good, what's, what's something we should be doing for our hamstrings? You know, yesterday I rode the assault bike backwards. Oh, nice. Very slow. Very, very, yeah. very slow. And it was uh-huh. a trippy. I was like, I never ride this thing backwards. I better start. I, I watched the uh, uh, ADCC, the Abu Dhabi Combat Challenge, the, mm. you, you know, the big jiu-jitsu tournament was yeah, yesterday. And, yeah. and I just sat there and rode the bike backwards and it was a trip. Yeah, I, I, but what, I don't doubt that. What um, So looking, looking for balance. I just figured, well, yeah, I ride yeah. it forward. I should ride it backward. Yeah. What should we be doing for our hamstrings? Like, so one... Like one thing, regardless if you, if you lift weights or otherwise, okay, like let's just say you want to 
have stronger hamstrings or this is even connected to like people having knee pain when the the quad is uh, too dominant, right? It can create knee pain over time. So we want to be able to offset that with the hamstring. But one of the things I learned at Westside on my first day there um, has stuck with me since. And I tell this to people all the time, laying down on your stomach, doing hamstring curls, right? So I'm pointing my toes, right? And I'm kicking them down, not touching the floor. And then bringing back up and it's very pendulum top, 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 right? Like a metronome and doing that for high repetitions, a hundred plus. So my first day at Westside, I don't recommend this by the way, to anyone listening. I don't, I would not say go out and do what I'm about to tell you. Um, this is very Louis. Uh, Louis put 10 pound ankle weights, 10 per ankle um, on each one of my ankles, had me lay down on a bench. And he said, uh, you're going to do these hamstring curls laying down and uh, don't get up until you've done 300. Wow. Wow. And I was like, holy crap. And I, I, I was like, I'm going to end up cramping or something or tearing something. I had trouble walking for the next week. Um, however, those were always implemented in my training every week, two to three times a week. And my joints, which I've had joint problems over the years, um, my joints never felt better. And I was never stronger than I was when I was training. Wow. I love this. Yeah. Yeah, it's lay on amazing. your stomach and do curls. Mm-hmm. Yep. I is it a, what would be? I have five pound ankle weights. Could I lay on my stomach and do uh, fifty with five so pound? Would that be a good would, start. I would actually say start with body weight. Go okay. one hundred unbroken. I will it, not do body weight. I am not a pussy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Trust me. Trust me on this. So do a hundred unbroken or try uh-huh. to in as few okay. sets as possible, right? But it it's not like this. People do this. You can yeah. you can do lots. No, it needs to be controlled. One, two, one, two, right? Until you, you reach 100. Um, keep your toes pointed as you're doing this. Don't, don't let them flop down or any of this. Keep them pointed. Watch how much your hamstrings are engaged. And I would, I would advise to roll over onto your back when you're done because most people cramp up if they try to bend at, at that point, just with body weight. And these are people What's who it are called? seasoned. Can we, can we see a video of that, Caleb? This sounds awesome. There, there might be even, I might have some videos, uh, Ryan Moody hamstring curls. Somewhere on YouTube. What do you think about the knee over um, toes guy? Um, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what's the his wa- name? the walk the walking backwards uh, stuff in the sled? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm an absolute fan of him. Yeah. Um. I've I've even heard of, of an orthopedic surgeon speaking to a lot of what he does as being very good stuff. Yep. There you go. Let's see what it looks like. Prone oh. hamstring curls. So the only difference is you would do both feet at the same time. And when you go back down, you won't touch the mat. You'll you'll suspend it right before the last second, so you're not trying to touch your toes. Because uh, you don't want to give. You don't want to rest. You, yeah, you, you want you want to be time, time under tension. Time under tension. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I can do that. And they're, they're amazing, but over time you work your. So let's say you get a hundred unbroken, right? Great. Now do two hundred unbroken the next time you do it. Great. Now get three hundred unbroken. Once you get three hundred unbroken with body weight, now shift into weight. Go back to hundred. Right. So 100 with five pounds on each ankle, et cetera, until you build up doing it incrementally like that is one of the smarter ways to do it, more of the effective ways to do it. And you will see that building from that foundation up from that as to how much it'll help. The other thing I, I recommend people do, and I, I'm not going to lie, especially in the CrossFit community, I like I have a bone to pick um, around this because I see athletes, especially athletes with large followings doing box squats so freaking wrong like so wrong um they make it quad dominant it's not 
It's, it's supposed to be hamstrings and glutes. Um, it's a very posterior chain movement. Uh, your, your knee should not be over your toe when you're in that position of uh, box squatting. Your shin should be vertical or slightly behind uh, the ankle. And um, Do you teach all this in your seminar? Yep. And the level day two, we do uh, a lot of the lifting variations. Okay. And, and kind of some stuff, uh, conjugate type stuff that I have. I was given Louie's blessing to be able to utilize and mesh with my stuff for the day two stuff. Um, but yeah. So the other piece would be when people slam or plop is what we call it. Plopping on the box, right. With weight on their back. Not good. Not good. Um, and uh, yeah, here you go. I believe that's Dave Tate. So you notice like, even in that position, you can see how far back his knees go when he's doing it. And notice how wide his stance is. Now, the idea here, yeah, you can train this in more of an Olympic stance. However, by training in that wide stance, you're really focusing more on the posterior chain, um, as well as more like the inner thigh. If you're ever really sore from box squats or sore at all on your quads, you're doing it wrong. It needs to be on the backside. You need to be feeling your lower posterior chain. Uh, to be doing uh, box squats correctly. And when you say posterior chain, you mean your ass? Yeah, yeah. Low, low back, ass, uh, hamstrings, calves, et cetera, all the way down. Um, um, it's in, Dave Tate, Greg one time gave Dave Tate a check for 10000 bucks to come talk at yeah. San Diego. Yeah. And he came there, and, he, man, he fucking tore us up. It was really cool. Greg loved it. That's when he, he said was, uh, He said the uh, teabag the barbell cue, right? Oh, he may have said that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was he was totally against he was so frustrated with how um, quad dominant all the CrossFit athletes were. He was yep. totally against a high high. Um, he was a low low barbell back squat guy. Yep. Um, and and the the whole seminar basically became like, hey, you guys have to stop being so quad dominant. Yeah, it was really cool. It was yeah. he was he was great. He was yeah. he was he was great. Well, I mean, th- that's the thing is, I didn't I thought I was working my posterior chain. Any bit. And, and then I went to West side and I was like, why am I so sore? This yeah. is crazy. I, I, you know, and I learned way more about working posterior training. I thought we did it all the time in CrossFit, just in lifting in general, but no, we really, we don't as much as we could and get the benefits from it. Um, that's possible. But yeah, on the box squatting, man, I have a video called a uh, stop the plot where I talk about this because when you see like, let's say hypothetically a games athlete with 400 plus pounds on their back and they just crash on a box or they just barely touch their butt, their butt toe box or their knee is far over their toe when they're doing it. That's telling everyone else. This is how you should be box squatting. Yes. And yes. That's not yes, right. We, we yes. don't want to be doing that. Right. So I always, yeah. I always try to educate as many people as I can, especially in the seminars on how to do it appropriately, because if you really want to box squat, well, let's, let's do it in the way that's actually going to get you the biggest bang for your buck. Right. Let's not do it from what we see on Instagram or Instagram models doing it or, or whatever. That stuff drives me nuts. But and you can you can just do what I did too. You can just go to Ryan, uh, type in Ryan Moody, um, explosive coach into oh, yeah, uh, you YouTube, and tons of videos pop up. Tons and tons and tons. Thank you for that plug. Where do you live? I'm in Dallas, Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. You like it there? Love it here, man. I've uh, I've lived in Arizona, Idaho, Utah, Ohio. South Carolina, and then I, briefly in San Diego. Oh, well, uh, where in Idaho? Uh, Boise, right in Boise. When I was going to Boise State. Oh, that's right. That's right. Did you it's like that? Beautiful. 
Oh, dude. It, first of all, the people up there are incredible. Uh, second of all, it is so beautiful up there. I think people always think potatoes, um, but it is super green and amazing out there. And people love to be outside. Um, it's, so um, you're active. It's, the state is exploding. Uh, yeah. the, that Coeur Lane area, man, it's like every, every Tom, Dick, and Harry with the fat bankroll is rolling up there. <laughs> exactly. and, and I haven't heard one bad thing about it. Yeah, I, I haven't had the opportunity to go to CDA yet. Um, I want to go up there because it's supposed to be absolutely incredible. I spent most of my time in, in the Boise area, primarily, primarily because of school. Um, but yeah. Um, do you think you'll continue to do both the counseling and the <clears throat> expo- explosive coaching? Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and instead of they're not, um, they're not, uh, in, there's not a contentious relationship between those two. It's actually quite the opposite. You're learning how they, they're, uh, uh, you're building an incredible, um, kind of like symbiotic relationship. You're, you're, yeah. you're actually curating some of the best content from both and, and, maybe my words, not yours, turning into some sort of camp. Right. Exactly. That's what I'd like to do. Currently, I have to be very careful ethically. There is what's called a dual relationship. So let's say you came to me as a, for counseling, right? I couldn't also be your personal trainer. That's not okay. That's an ethical violation. No shit. For real. Yep. I thought it was just like, if you come to you for counseling, you can't fuck them. You can't, you can't teach them how to jump <laughs> either. That seems, that. Yeah. It seems like you're taking it a little, a little far. Uh, we can't be naked <laughs> together, nor can I teach you how to jump. Really? Yeah. What, what, what's the, yep. tell me, tell me, tell me the, the how that gets weird. Well, I, seriously, I, 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 you've totally lost me. How is that unethical? So you you got to look at power dynamics, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so if I'm charging you, uh, to come to therapy, right. I'm yeah. learning, I'm learning a lot about you uh, in confidentiality, right. Right. That, um, it is very uh, deep stuff that could be harmful to you. Uh-huh. Now, if it's shared or, it, you know, others start to connect dots, et cetera. And then if I'm also personal training you, now I have two means of income from you that I'm getting, that I'm utilizing, which looks like a position of power that I'm getting, I'm gleaning more money from you essentially. Right. Right. And so that's, that's not okay. So there's lots of different types of dual relationships. Oh, and okay, I see. yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that's definitely not okay. Unfortunately is kind of, what, what do you think about, what do you think about like gyms that are set that sell shit to their clients? Um, like, what? What do you like, mean? like, like, uh, like if, if I'm selling you shoes and I'm getting a cut for the shoes, then maybe I'm selling you <coughs> ass shoes. I'm leveraging the fact that you trust me on me telling you how to move, but I'm selling you ass shoes just because I get a cut. Is that unethical? Um, from a therapist standpoint, no, but, uh, from, a industry standpoint, I think we run into problems with this in general, because if you think of it like that, you're going to sell me some ass shoes, but I trust you. I trust that what you're going to tell me is actually going to be beneficial for me. And if right. you're selling me something because you're getting a cut of it, how is that really helping me? Right. right. What kind of rapport is that building between you and I? Right. Um, so I, I think a lot of that does come down to like morals and ethics in general, but it depends on the person. So everyone who's ever wanted to do it. Everyone who's always wanted to do an affiliate program with the podcast, I tell them I'd rather you just pass. Uh, I'm not going to do it. Just pass the discount to the. So let's say uh, let's say I was um uh um, I don't know what the fuck it is, but people I don't want to name any companies, but they were like, hey, we'll give you 15 percent of every sale you make. I like just give it to the to the people. Yeah. 
like give yeah. the, you know, the, the coffee discount to the people. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this? This is totally off, off yeah, subject yeah. here. Hit um, me with it, man. What do you think about, um, you can't have a, a pre you can't have a, like, you can't have a, um, president of the United States. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like doing shit, like cheating on his wife or like into kitty porn or shit like that because then other countries could leverage that guy's desire to hide that shit from his wife to get um, stuff from him. You know what I mean? So like supposedly that was like the thing with uh, Trump supposedly like there was like Putin had footage of him at the Ritz Carlton, like having strippers pee on him or something like that. You know what oh, I mean? Wow. The Washington post, it's not, I don't think it's true at all, but the Washington post insinuated it. And I don't know if you know about the Washington post, wow. but it's, it's, the worst newspaper in the entire world. It's Jeff Bezos newspaper. It's, yeah. it's really bad. It's really, really yeah. bad. The shit they do, but um, you can't have that either. Right. Even though it's a free country and you should be allowed to let people pee on you. If that's what you want, there become like some positions of power where you have to be. Um... Well, that's why we'll, we'll see impeachment, right. At different times in history over stuff yeah. choices, whether morally or otherwise, ethically or otherwise that right. are done uh, like Nixon as an example, uh, Clinton as an example. Yeah. Um, and, but and so Nixon, yeah. Nixon was actually breaking the law. Right. And Clinton was just doing something that was putting our national security at risk because he wanted to hide this chick that he stuck a cigar in, in the white house from his wife. I, I mean, right. I mean, that, that's yeah. the thing, right. So, I don't know. Like there's a difference is, between breaking the law and then and then being able to leverage someone who's in power. Mm -hmm. I just don't like the I, I, these things are starting to make more and more sense to me as I get older. It was like we had this guy who was the CEO of CrossFit who was cheating on his wife with mm -hmm. a lady who was cheating on her husband. And as a young man, I was like, "Fuck, what do I care? Let people do whatever they want." But as in, but then as I got older, I'm like, "Wow." This what's this guy's moral integrity? If he'll do this to his wife, and if this lady will do this to her husband, and they're both fucking high powered in the company, and to the rest of the people, those of us who are trying to have monogamous relationships, it was also causing like trauma there, because mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. if my best yeah. friend is cheating on his wife, my wife's like, hmm, yeah, betrayal right? trauma, yeah. yeah. And there's all of these. Uh, um, it's a trip. so. So my question is this then, it we take the younger version of you that's like, Hey, people can do what they want. Let them do what they want. And we take the older version of you that's saying, Oh no, blah, blah, blah. Like what, if he's doing this, what does that mean that he's willing to do? Blah, blah, blah. What, to, what did it take for you to, from young you to go to older you to get to this point? I think there's something really important there around the question of how did you get, how did you shift those gears? What did it take to get to that point to where you started to actually question what an individual in power is doing? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, obviously, having kids had a tremendous impact on me. Mm -hmm. Tremendous. Um, but it's starting to realize the nuances of what we want from our our leaders and the desire to like, I think, like um, the, the perfect leader for the United States would be a man who lived in a yurt on the lawn of the White House <laughs> who never wore anything besides a sheet and had no investments. I hear you. I, like I, can, I want, I, I want pure transparency. I want mm -hmm. it so, like, literally, like when he lifts up that sheet, his we see his cock and balls. <laughs> I want a man who's naked to to to, to the world. Right. 
Okay. Because what 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 is that? What need is that filling for you? Um, I, I, uh, honesty, transparency, uh, and yeah. uh, um, uh, uh, when we do see his angle or his agenda, it's apparent to us. He doesn't want to okay. kill children. Yeah. You know what I mean? He or yeah. or or he does approve of child uh, labor, like wh- whatever it is. I don't want out. I I don't like the idea of outside interests affecting affecting our leaders. Like that. Like that's yeah. a public servant role. Yeah, sounds like you're tired of the smoke that we get within the political realm. Like, just be transparent with me. Show me, show me. This is this is your bad stuff. Okay. Well, at least I know where I how to make my decisions now, right? And that's basically what that's. You, I guess you just nailed it. I hated Donald Trump because of his behavior, mm-hmm. but I my premium has now become more for. Uh, I, I have no tolerance for. Um, I've lost my tolerance for lying. Mm-hmm. And, and and poor thinking and so i don't and so now i don't hate donald trump because i don't i see him as being honest like when he says yeah of course i have jew accountants and not black guys who wouldn't want a jew accountant i'm like yeah i'm, I'm, I'm I, I appreciate that as opposed to the left claiming that they're helping black people when everything they're doing is hurting black people i, I put mm-hmm. a premium on honesty and transparency over mm-hmm. uh over 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 lying and hurting people yeah even if i don't like what you're doing you know what i mean like i don't i don't don't really like him uh saying some things but Mm -hmm. i i put the premium on honesty yeah yeah it's it's it sounds like it's connected to your value system yeah i guess this is how you value yeah absolutely yeah and that's what helps you value systems belief systems uh, helps us to make the decisions that we would we are going to make it uh, you know in the future um because you've had experiences where you're like, oh, I, you know, I didn't like how uh, Trump was assertive or aggressive in these manners, the way he would speak, right, et cetera. However, now after experiencing, you know, current administration or, or administrations where there's a lot of lying, you're going, wait, I definitely don't want that now. So what right. I do want is I want someone who's going to be assertive. I still want someone who's going to be transparent and it's not blown, you know, smoke up my kilt. Right. So. And I'd like someone who says that um, p- puts a premium on jumping explosive movements. So you want me to run for president? Is that what it, what it is? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Wouldn't it have been cool <laughs> if just one of those fucking knuckleheads, just one, the, 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 listen to the two jackasses who put a premium on, on, um, I, I shouldn't call them jackasses. It's not <laughs> fair, but the two people that put a premium on movement were, um, uh, the CNN guy who is a fucking complete fucking lunatic, um, not Don Lemon, but the guy who the guy whose brother got fucking kicked out of being governor of New York. One of the Cuomo's. Uh, Cuomo, um, yeah. The CNN host there, he worked out and people made fun of him. The people on the right made fun of him. And Marjorie Taylor Greene works out. She even said that fucking CrossFit will fucking prevent you from fucking dying of COVID. And she got made fun of from the left. Hmm. Why couldn't have just Donald Trump like lost 40 pounds while he was in office or, or Joe Biden said, Hey, if you work out, why can't one of those guys just say that? Yeah. It doesn't seem very extreme to me. Well, you can also say not very extreme things around COVID in general and get completely shut down. I know I lost my count. Hmm. Well, thank you. This was good. Yeah, brother. Absolutely. What a, what a great range of topics. I really enjoy talking to you. Likewise. Absolutely, yeah, you're a man. cool cat. Dude, um, seriously, if you can come up to Sacramento for that seminar, man, I'd, I'd love to have you. Bring tell me boys. the day. 
Uh, it's going to be the weekend of December 3rd and 4th, I believe, um, at Iron Mile. Yep, at, at the Alderman's Gym. Um, God, I awesome. really like Ben Alderman, too. That oh. kill, kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. So, like, Ben and, and his wife, Stephanie, and their kids, like, incredible human beings. I've been around the world times, and there's very few people like them. Yeah, they're dope. All right. Uh, thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Um, and I will, um, we, we have each other's text messages. I don't sleep with yeah. my phone next to my bed. So you can text me 24 <laughs> hours a day. That goes for anyone, by the way, who has my phone number. I do not give a shit. Text me <laughs> when the fuck ever, except Sounds for you, Caleb. Way. I don't, except <laughs> for you, Caleb. Thanks for all your help today, Caleb. Of course. And, um, and, and I'm, I, I would, I would consider, I, is it okay if I tell people that we're friends and that I know you, Ryan? Oh, of course. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Caleb, you, you can too. That. That's fine too, brother. <laughs> I'll, put you on, I'll put you on that list. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so All much. Right, brother. Have a good Appreciate day. It. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Send him my number. Dude, DM him. Wow, that was that was like a thousand times better than I thought. Not that I thought anything bad, but wow. Well, I mean, you didn't have very many notes. He must have been confident about it. I guess so, right? But I, but I, I only had, I, I had so few notes. I like, I like one full page of notes, and I only had a half a page of notes. I couldn't find them on any other podcast. It was that was a little unsettled. But um, that dude was willing to go anywhere. Yeah, no doubt. I was impressed. I wanted to know if ejaculation was considered an explosive movement, <laughs> an involuntary <laughs> explosive movement. Yeah, I want to say there's some sort of reflex associated with it. I can't it's remember such a it it's such a weird phenomenon, the ejaculation. I, I, yeah, so I think there's a, there's a way to test for it. Like if you have issues with ejaculation, I think there's like a way to test the reflex for it or something. I can't remember. You, you, you there's other things you do involuntarily, right? Like breathe and digest food, and and just there's a bunch of shit you do. But this thing, you kind of have to like. I guess I guess you could have a nocturnal emission, but it, it's yeah, kind of involuntary. But but you got to get it. It's like a lawnmower. You got to start it. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. You gotta yeah. you gotta pull the string a few times. <laughs> uh, I heard a rumor that ejaculated at twenty six miles an hour. Yeah, I I used to like that those numbers and stuff around it when I was in high school too. <laughs> Brandon Waddell, not Waddle. Brandon Waddell. I know how to say your name. Fucking try to correct me. All right. Um, I will see you guys tomorrow. Um, I, I, I'm starting to get uh, text messages from Matt Souza again. That means he's come up for air from, uh, from his marriage. That's kind of cool. <clears throat> Super exciting. Looks like a great party. Uh, um, uh, Connor, Connor uh, Murphy uh, tomorrow. Uh, he is, uh, I think he was on the L1 training staff. He might still be, but he's a trainer to the stars. And now, cool ass dude, uh, super cute guy. Heidi, you'll really like Connor. What? He's got like eight pack abs. Yeah, he's super cute. And uh, and then who the guy who's not so cute, um, who I just actually saw um, uh, wrestling a little bit on the floor at ADCC at 10 a.m. It looks like we have Devin Lorette, uh, second greatest arm wrestler who ever lived. Um, so tomorrow tomorrow morning's gonna be fun. And I don't think we have anyone tomorrow night. Nope. Caleb, thank you. I'm going to uh, Los Gatos with my homeboy, Greg Glassman, now. That should be fun.
Nice. And uh, he just texted me and said he's coming by to pick me up. So that's cool. 